0: Welcome to Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. Happy Fourth of July. <laughs> right, yeah. right. Right, Doc? <laughs> right. <laughs> it was happy. Yeah. It sure was. Now see everybody out there, we have a bi-weekly show that's usually released every other Friday, and this is episode 20. But since this episode was scheduled to release on the 4th of July, 2014, we're bringing you horror on the 4th of July. That's kind of like our theme here. But in reality, my uh, computer died the day that we were supposed to record. So we're actually releasing this a week after Independence Day. Damn it. So (laughs) sorry about that, everybody. Believe me, nobody was more upset than I was. I promise you that because, Dave, didn't we? We put together this awesome show. Oh,
1: yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's, uh, it's a little bit late now, but you know what? What are you gonna do? Yeah. It's, it, I, I still think it's I still think it's a good uh, it's a good theme. We got some good movies to talk about. So
0: yeah, and maybe next year on um, Fourth of July, twenty fifteen, somebody will remember and go back to episode twenty and listen yep. to it on that there, day.
1: And that's what you can do. And that way, they'll get the Fourth of July. Besides, how many how many Christmas shows are put out that never actually release on Christmas <laughs> Day? So.
0: Exactly right. What are you gonna do? Oh, So anyways, um, that's that's the bad news that that was a week late. But the good news is you're going to get another episode from us, another release uh, next week. And so we're super excited about that. So on Horror Movie Podcast, you're going to hear in-depth horror movie reviews, especially for new releases with ratings and recommendations to help you decide whether you should buy, rent, or avoid these movies. And I am your host, Jay of the Dead, podcasting from Salt Lake City. And my co-hosts tonight are...
1: Dave Becker, uh, Dr. Shock from uh, just outside Philadelphia, PA.
2: And i
0: impressive. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> Wolfman Josh. All right.
0: That was very good, Josh. Very good. Thanks for being I here. I was home
2: for the holidays, for the 4th of July holidays. So that's, it's been nice to take some time off. And I'm just sad that this didn't get out in time for the actual Independence Day. But
0: yeah. Yeah, that hurt. I mean, we were all kind of ticked off, huh, Josh?
1: Yeah. So. Well, it's yeah, but like I said, it's it's we got some good movies, so it'll be it'll be fun.
0: That's yeah. right. So as we get started tonight here, before we jump into our reviews, I have a quick little fun fact for everybody, just for your entertainment. This year, twenty fourteen, Halloween falls on a Friday, so that's October thirty first. And guys, that means two things. First, it means that we could potentially have a new horror release opening in theaters on Halloween day. Now that that doesn't happen super often as it turns out, because usually they like to take advantage of the whole month of leading up to Halloween. Right. And, And so usually they don't do that. But see, the thing is I was born in 1976. I just turned 38. So in my lifetime, you guys, Halloween has only fallen on a movie release Friday five times thus far And it's six if you count this year. So, for example, in 1980, The Awakening, which is that Charlton Heston movie about um, an archaeologist who discovers his daughter's possessed.
1: That Charlton Heston abortion. Yeah, that is a horrible movie. Right.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, anyway, that was released on Halloween Day, that Friday. And, And also what was in theaters at that time was Motel Hell that came out earlier in the month. And then, It's a much better movie. Yes. Yeah, I love that movie. And then, guys, in 1986, there was nothing released on Halloween, but Trick or Treat was out earlier that month. Nice. That, that's the 80s one, of course. And then in mm-hmm. 1997, again, nothing on Halloween, but I Know What You Did Last Summer was out. And we're actually going to be talking about that tonight, coincidentally. And then in 2003, once again, nothing was released on Halloween Friday, but... Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake was out in theaters. And then, guys, in 2008, we got lucky, and we had Eden Lake. That came out on Halloween Friday. Did you see that? No, Ooh. I have not seen that. I've been very curious about that. I heard it was pretty disturbing, but I don't know. Oh. So maybe I can check that out. But one that we love, Josh, is Splinter. Remember that?
2: Yeah, Yes, that
0: and, is a good thought- one.
2: You know, Halloween is actually a terrible day to release the movie, if you're...
1: Yeah, not too many people are going to be going to the theaters on Halloween
2: Day, I don't think. Or the day after to see a horror movie that came out. Right.
0: Right. Right. And that's why they do it earlier in the month, I know that. But I still think it's special, you know. And the other thing on, on 2008, Josh... You'll appreciate this or you won't either. <laughs> but a movie that I think is <laughs> guess. is a super, like, <laughs> it's not technically a horror movie, but it is a horror movie to me in my heart. This is that documentary, Dear Zachary, A Letter to His Son About His Father. <laughs>
2: I hate that movie.
0: I know you hate it, but man... That movie destroyed me, literally. So, wow. Um, did you see that one yet, Dave?
1: I haven't, no. But I, I remember hearing you guys uh, discuss that. I, I, I do have it on the, <laughs> I, like, I like with everything else. I have it on the list. This sort of uh, non-existent <laughs> in my mind list. That now that you've mentioned it, it, it moves up beyond everything else. Like from two days ago, that someone else told me. Oh. You know, one of those kind of lists. Yeah. So I I definitely do want to check it out, though.
0: It, it hurts the soul, but okay. But Josh doesn't like it, just for the record. Um. Now, one other thing on this Halloween on Friday thing. This is really kind of a big deal to me. I know you guys, probably nobody cares about this, but just so you know how special it is, after this year, okay, Halloween won't fall on a movie release Friday again until... The year 2025, when I'm 49 years old. Wow. And this means, you guys, just so you know, Josh, because I can tell you're not taking this seriously. (laughs) If I live to be 88 years old, which is a big if, meaning that would be Halloween of 2064.
2: Meaning you'd have to cut Twinkies out altogether.
0: (laughs) Funny. Touché. And you're right about that. <laughs> <laughs> then I won't.
1: 2064. On, wow.
0: I will only get this phenomenon of having Halloween fall on a movie release Friday just seven more times. And then, um, so if a person lives to be 90, for example, I mean, it only occurs about 13 times total in a person's life. So I'm just saying. Uh,
1: if it's 2064, I'll be 95. 95.
0: Wow, okay. Yeah, well,
1: and I'd also, I'll be, uh, I don't know that I'll be going to the theater then.
0: Guys, let's try to podcast on that day. Let's plan on doing that. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> I'm,
1: I'm guessing you're going to need a pretty strong antenna to get us all in there, but.
0: <laughs> oh, That's funny. Well, we'll see. We'll see how that turns out. They don't call me Jay of the Dead for nothing, Doc Shock. Um, <laughs>
1: They're going to be needing to give me some shocks, probably.
0: <laughs> So, um, I promise we'll get going here in just a sec then moving on from that. Um, Josh, I'm dying to know, what did you think? Have you seen the trailer for Dracula untold, which comes out on October 17th? And if so, what did you think of that?
2: You, uh, turned me on to this trailer, um, which is probably one of the reasons why I didn't get around to watching it. <laughs>
0: I just joking. I just felt like he slapped no, I, me I in the face. I didn't right see there.
2: it yet. I apologize.
0: Oh, that's okay. Did you see it, Doc Shock?
1: I, I completely forgot in the email you sent us before we were supposed to record last time. Uh, Jay did send us an email asking us to watch that trailer. And then, of course, we didn't record that day. So, uh, yeah, I put it on the list, but something <laughs> else replaced it.
0: Okay. Well, um, the, the tagline is something like this. Sometimes the world doesn't need another hero. Sometimes it needs a monster. And so this is like this appears to be, from what I can tell, an action horror type of movie along the lines of I Frankenstein it has okay. swords and knights and horses in it, and and I just like an want
1: underworld type movie type uh, that type of thing underworld. Yeah,
0: yeah, okay, yeah, action horror. But see, I just want to put it out there right now. I'll go see it and everything, but I don't like monsters as heroes. My monsters need to be monsters. I don't like them to be sympathetic or anti-heroes either. That bugs me real bad. What do you guys say?
1: Um, I don't mind sympathy I mean, you know, if you're talking sympathetic, obviously you go back to the original Frankenstein. Um, I think that character was very sympathetic. Uh, it doesn't bother me as much. I don't know. Maybe, maybe in modern horror, it might, it might bother me a little bit more. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I didn't see I, Frankenstein, to be honest with you.
0: Good choice. Oh, it was not worth seeing? Okay. <laughs> well, I, I didn't love it. I mean. All right. So, and and okay. I remember Josh snubbed it. I mean, he turned his nose right up at watching that on, on Josh.
2: Not at all, no. Oh. <laughs> After you told me what it was, I had no idea what it was. I just had only seen the poster, and I thought it looked awesome. And then I heard your review, and then I watched the trailer, and, yeah, then I was very much <laughs> turned off. Uh,
1: <laughs> it, it's, it's, and it's like... Uh, well, no, I was gonna say Van Helsing, but that didn't make monsters heroes, did it? They were pretty much monsters mm. in Van Helsing.
0: Well, uh, I right. won't I won't say the one that comes to mind because I've said it too many times already on this podcast, but but I like monsters not as heroes because that way they they have the potential to be scary. So just saying.
2: Mm-hmm. I don't care about monsters as heroes necessarily, but I like I like a good sympathetic monster. I think that's yeah. way more interesting. Ever since Frankenstein I've felt that way, and it's one of my favorite things about the twist on um, Nosferatu, the Shadow of the Vampires. How complicated that character is in the movie.
0: Yes. Well, well, you guys bring up a good point about Frankenstein. So, I mean, it's it's not just sympathetic, but it's if they make him sympathetic and a hero, I'm okay with sympathetic, I guess. But uh-huh. but I'm not. Makes you know, it all the
2: more tragic when the townsfolk burn him to the ground.
0: Right, but right. I'm just saying I'm not rooting for the Phantom of the Opera because he's got bad complexion. That's all I'm saying. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, right. That may sound like a,
2: The Wolfman is a tortured monster, like, almost in every yep. single telling of the story.
0: Yes, you are. Yes, that's very true. Yes, you are. So, yeah, that's a good one. Okay, anyways, um, we're excited. Needless to say, we're excited about October. um. A few exciting things that are coming out that we we'll talk about maybe at a later time, but I don't want to spend too much time on it. Wait a
2: minute, sorry, you like Day of the Dead?
0: I do, I do okay, like what do
2: that. You say about what do you say
0: about a bub? Yeah, bub. Yeah, um, you know, bub's okay, but you know, the thing is, it, Romero almost pushes that a little too far. Almost, it, I mean, he is right on the border of of like being pushed too far, but still. Let let's be honest. In zombie movies, who are usually the monsters? The humans, right? And that holds true for Day of the Dead. And so I'm fine uh-huh. with that because our monsters are humans.
2: Right? Sure. Yeah, I'm just realizing your whole argument's basically ridiculous. Most <laughs> most monster <laughs> movies have a
0: sympathetic monster. <laughs> no. Don't make me bring up um Texas Chainsaw 3D again. Don't make me do it. It's too repetitive. <laughs> But anyways,
1: all right. <laughs> but even if you think about the, even if you think about the original Texas Chainsaw, um, there are several scenes with Leatherface where he's not this 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 monster that that you're thinking of. There there are times when he's sort of sort of sheepish, you know, and and mm-hmm. he's 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 being you know uh, the, like this the scene um, uh, when uh, when the cook comes home and, and is sort of beating him around, and and when he when he's sitting out there wondering where all these kids are coming from and he's he's like really sort of uh like just in turmoil so it's not even like he's a monster from start to finish right and that's and that's our favorite horror movie
0: it is but the bottom line on that one to me is he works because let's face it none of us will go up and put our arm around him and try to comfort him and you know, be no. befriend him because he's too freaking scary, and we'd be afraid of getting sawed in half. Well, right. So. I
1: don't know that I don't know that I would do that with Frankenstein either. To be honest, with the monster either,
2: right?
1: Um, put my arm around him and, and try to try to you know sympathize with him, um, but that doesn't make him any less sympathetic.
2: <laughs> or the tortured soul that is uh, Dracula and Coppola's version of the story. Right.
1: Nice,
0: right. Josh. You're having some good references tonight. Yes, absolutely. Um, as usual. And Kronos
2: is a great example. That's right. Kronos is another one.
0: Humble too. No, yeah, that one. Kronos now, see, that and one. Jaws.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean,
0: I think that's why a lot of people don't feel like Kronos works though, right? Because um, he's not scary. He's just not.
1: See, I, I liked Kronos. I, I enjoyed the movie. I, I like it Kronos. too.
0: But as a monster movie, hmm, kind of weak, right? I, can, I know uh, something.
2: You're weak.
0: <laughs> Let's arm wrestle, Josh.
2: I think that's. I think that line is in. I know you did last summer.
0: Yeah, I, I think it. It has all kind of clever quips in it, actually. Right. <laughs> at this point, we're going to move into our feature review of "Deliver Us from Evil."
3: Possible 1025 at the Bronx Zoo. Purpose potentially still at the scene. Hey, Sergeant Sachi, right? What's the damage here?
0: Weirdest thing: the whole zoo lost
1: power. Some woman flipped out. She split against the crowd. Now we can't find her.
2: She must be hiding somewhere in the park. Basically, you've got an NYPD police sergeant who is uh, played by Eric Bana, and um, he is put in charge of investigating a series of crimes. Um, and he eventually joins forces with Edgar Ramirez, who is playing kind of a off-kilter priest um, who is, and and he's an exorcist. And so together they uh, try to combat a series of possessions that are terrorizing New York city.
0: Mm -hmm. You know, the first thing I want to say about this movie to you, Josh is we're doing this during our horrors of the 4th of July episode. And it turns out that this movie fits perfectly in this theme because there's some footage in the movie that occurs in Iraq in a cave, and if you look at the date on the camera, because it's got that found footage look, you see that the footage was shot on July 4th, 2010.
4: Whoa! And so this turns out
0: <laughs> this is actually an Independence Day movie as well. Although there is very very little Fourth of July stuff, you know, in it. But that was we so, knew that that was so cool, right? So anyway, for, for those who aren't aware, um, you know, this movie's kind of interesting to me, Josh, because in real life, there's a New York City police officer, Ralph Sarchi, and he spent most of his career, he was doing, you know, regular police work for the department and his other work was as a demonologist and he investigated these cases of possession and he helped perform exorcisms. And like I said, this is real life stuff. And in, in 2001, he co-wrote a book with Lisa Collier Cool called Beware the Night, and that's about his experiences with true crimes that he believes are associated directly with demonic influences. And so um, this movie has been adapted from that book. You know, um, director Scott Derrickson and uh, his co-writer Paul Harris Boardman took some of those stories and made it into this film, Deliver Us from Evil. And so, Josh, I just want to ask you, what do you think of this film?
2: Well, I'm kind of a mixed on it, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. I, I am someone who sometimes is really whose expectations really play a big role in my enjoyment of the movie. And usually that's not for the best um, yeah. when that happens. And this was definitely one of those situations. Um, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of director Scott Derrickson. Based on Sinister. Me too. And so I had very, very high hopes for us from Evil, um, not only because of him, but because of the backstory that you just talked about, um, that this was based on true events. We know Scott Derrickson met uh, Sarchi and used um, some of his research for The Exorcism of Emily Rose, um, which which uh, Derrickson previously directed. So um, I I was excited to kind of see the real guy behind, um, you know, some of these paranormal things. And I like the idea of paranormal investigations from whether it's uh, the X files or ghostbusters. I I, I like the idea. I like that kind of um, setup and starting point for a movie. I also really like the idea of, of a priest who's kind of <laughs> a rogue priest also being involved in, the, <laughs> in that kind of that also idea kind of excites me yeah i think the biggest problem with the movie was it just wasn't scary
0: yeah it's I, I, not
2: I, I didn't find it particularly scary
0: it has creepy moments right yeah. but uh, yeah i mean you would think that for this kind of subject matter that is supposed to be real that supposedly happened in real life you would think this would be freaking scary
2: and, and religious stuff usually scares me more than like a slasher, mm-hmm. too. So Me too. I, I really anticipated, uh I mean, as everyone who are hardcore listeners to the show know, I've still never watched The Exorcist because I'm too afraid. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we still need to do, we ought to do that one Halloween, Josh. Just I
2: can't, I can't do it. I'm too afraid. Brother, and I will why, sit yeah, beside that's why, you. Again, I thought I would be, <laughs> I thought I'd be scared in this one, too, and I just really wasn't.
0: Yeah. And Now, see, try to explain for the listeners who haven't seen it. I mean, this is currently in theaters right now. Um, but for those who haven't seen it, why Why would you say it's not scary?
2: You know, I've been thinking about that a lot, trying to figure out why exactly that is. Because the performances are good. Um, mm-hmm. It's got some really interesting locations. Uh, there's a kind of an abandoned zoo location that's just incredible. Yeah. And again, like, you know, all the elements are there. But I don't know, I guess. And the thing is, is I, I feel like Scott Derrickson's really good at scares. And so the only thing I can think of was he was more interested in the drama. Yeah. You know? and, I mean, and, and that's what he was going for. And, 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 go and it's also a mainstream release as opposed to um, you know, Sinister, which was very much an independent film. Jerry Bruckheimer is the producer of uh, Delivers from Evil. So maybe he just had different... <laughs> Maybe had more interference from a studio.
0: Do you think more Bruckheimer per- screwed this up?
2: I'm I'm just saying there might may have been a different set of expectations on this movie than
0: yeah.
2: on uh, Derrickson's other work.
0: Well, I, I really felt like I would classify this as a crime thriller that has a couple of effective jump scares, and it only goes full blown horror at the end in its climax. And so for me. I relate it closer to like David Fincher's Seven because it feels like a gritty crime movie. Now, having seen it, do you think that's accurate or not? It's funny because
2: you said that in our, in uh, your review on Movie Podcast Weekly that you would it re- to Seven. So I kind of had that in my mind. And so, uh, you know, just maybe it's just the contrarian to me. I didn't see that at quite as much. But in terms mm-hmm. of scares, yeah, I, in some ways Saw, you know, and I have related Saw to Seven. Some ways, Saw um, mm-hmm. is a movie that it kind of feels similar to.
0: Yeah. You know, in terms of the horror level. This is not a spoiler. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But this has a showdown. You know, you get a showdown in the climactic scene that, yeah. that is very similar and reminds me a lot of The Conjuring, except I think this showdown is done better than the one in The mm. Conjuring. Wow, because you don't have that ridiculous. There's no chairs, right? No, <laughs> exactly. There's a chair in this, but it makes sense in this, <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Oh, yes. Brother. Exactly. So, I, I well, here's what I want to know from you. Then, like, <laughs> didn't you love? Because I love the fact that the Ralph Sarchi character. He's really a hard nose. He, he's, not, he's a skeptic. He's a non-believer. So he's not afraid. He's not, a, he's not your typical victim in a horror movie. This guy's a very strong personality. And his um, partner is also like a thrill seeker. And they really like to jump into like <laughs> some bad stuff. And so that was kind of exciting for me. That really drew me along in the film at the beginning until, you know, Ralph Sarchi started believing
2: yeah and, and, and something about that belief aspect this the the um religious aspects of the film or the you know the spiritual aspects of the film they feel very redundant or derivative kind of in at, at this stage kind of in horror movies mm-hmm. and i and, and i and i hate when that happens um, with a true story because you know i mean as far as we know yeah, you know, what is being claimed is that this all happened, and so right, um, and so it's unfortunate that it would feel kind of like oh we've seen this before um, when you know it, it's based on true true events. You know, I don't know. That, I don't know if that makes any
0: sense, but well, and then it, it does make sense. I agree, and then I think films like this come unraveled when they do that thing where you have an expert in place, which in this case is the the priest, the exorcist priest. Yeah. And, um, who knows, who happens to know an awful lot about this supernatural world in these circumstances. And then he starts like spelling it out and, and like explaining it. Like, it's like he has a handbook to it and it's like, yeah, right, bro. You don't know. Yeah. And and (laughs) it, it just bugs me because it's like, I don't want them explaining away the monster. And speaking of the monster, I think the monster or slash monsters of this film were not scary because they don't have your typical um possessed persons like <laughs> demonized animalistic creature look. They're right. just they're just regular people who look nutty, you know? what do you think of which, that which
2: again if i was if i was going to encounter someone possessed in, in real life i would assume that's what it would kind of be like
0: right. i don't know
2: it, it just suffers from that um from not going ho- full horror you know in, in that way and i think yeah. um that is something tricky when you're dealing with a true story how do you handle those those moments
0: yeah, I agree.
2: It's hard. It's, I mean, it's, I don't envy the position that Derrickson's in. And I feel like he creates a really awesome tone for the movie. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I, and I think his style, although I prefer it in Sinister, is still pretty strong here. I mm-hmm. think It's visually interesting for the most part.
0: Well, speaking of visuals, did you think that it got... One of my complaints is that it was, like, too dark. It was hard to see the action. I didn't think it was lit very well.
2: Yeah, I I see that complaint. I mean, I feel like it makes sense for the locations. That To me, that's the main thing that I care about when it comes to lighting is that it's motivated by real light sources or potential real light sources. (laughs) And so, you know, that... I hate overlit, really fakie-looking lighting that that bugs me. That's an automatic turn off for me. Having said that, you do want to be able to see the movie. So,
0: well, agreed. But remember, in Sinister, how much darkness is in that house? Yeah. I cannot believe how beautiful that is in Sinister. I mean, it is incredible. I, I am just blown away when I see that. And that that was uh, Chris Knorr that did Sinister. In, yeah, and- but they
2: had some really bright external lights that they were dealing with um right but you, allowed for the those kind of you know they were dealing with big windows and they were dealing with uh, like illuminated laptops and things that kind of like lent themselves to that's true that kind of
0: lighting well yeah that's true but still i mean like the, there it were parts creative, of the, but yeah there were parts of the frame though josh that were like seriously like it, yeah like pitch black and i'm like I can still see what's going on in this movie. And whereas in this film, I just felt like so much of the action is lost. And like, for example, like, the like
2: Godfather part three. <laughs>
0: right. Yeah. Well, kind of like that. Yeah. But like, <laughs> what about in the police station? Did you notice that scene that I complained of before inside the police station? It looks like they're sitting in there during a, a power outage and it's like, they would have lights on <laughs> inside the police station. Come on, guys. Yeah,
2: you said that. Yeah, that's pretty funny.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, that that was super annoying to me.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but any, anyways, I, I don't know. So, how are you feeling about this? Because I know you had super high expectations.
2: I do like the movie, again, like kind of how we were talking about Cape Fear. I just have to kind of think of it as something different, you know. I, It's an interesting police story. Um, I love that it's based on a true story. Still, I love that it still has a creepy aspect to it. Performances are good. I feel like it's still well directed, um, but it's not much of a horror movie.
5: So,
0: no,
2: it's not. I, I, I still rate it pretty high. I'd still give it an eight, but um, wow. for horror fans, I think it's a very. It's probably a. It's a rental or a low priority rental for me. You know, it still might be a buy, but um, for 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 horror fans, if that's what you're. If that's what you're looking for, you're going to be disappointed.
0: So you're saying it's an 8 out of 10, but it's a rental for horror fans. You got it. Okay. Yeah. For me, Deliver Us From Evil, this is a 5.5 out of 10. Um, You know, if you like 7, if you like movies like that, then I think you'll enjoy this. But yeah, if you're looking for scares, if you're looking for something freaky, looking for a full-blown horror movie, this isn't it. So um, that's our review of Deliver Us From Evil. All right, guys, we wanted to talk about horror on the 4th of July, and we, we tried to pick four movies that would be a good time to talk about that really kind of, um you know, have that backdrop or some kind of 4th of July tie-ins, and I just want to say, first of all, that um I like these movies because when this happens, which it's pretty rare, right, there aren't that many of them, but when it happens, they're set kind of against this backdrop of celebration, it's usually a sense of community, it's a sense of unity, right? all this stuff, and then horror starts happening within the realm of it now and I think that's very effective. What do you guys say?
1: yeah, I, I mean it's especially <laughs> if you look at the movies we're discussing tonight yeah. i I agree with you.
0: Yeah, because I think horror is the um absence of peace often, and so a lot of times there's peace, and then the horror replaces the peace. And, I mean
2: that's classic setup and payoff for horror too. If you think about, you know, Friday the Thirteenth at a kids' summer camp, or a Silent Night, Deadly Night, or you know, that most of most of the right. movies kind of start out as as being in kind of this idyllic location or holiday, mm-hmm. um, and then have this
0: terrible twist to it. Yeah, absolutely. I was uh, I was watching Monster House with my son today. And I'm trying I'm training him up in the ways of a horror fan. And I taught him that as that film opens, you got a little girl on her trike riding through the fall leaves, and it's a beautiful little scene, and then it's tainted with something ugly. And then that's just that's how horror works, and it's great. It's very effective.
2: Anyways. Nice. One- I agree. The more the for me, the more I like that setting, the more effective it is when it goes bad same with the characters you know that's why you know we there was always this discussion of is it better to have likable slasher characters or unlikable slasher characters or does it matter and for me it matters because the more i'm invested in the setting or the or the circumstances or the characters or the tone then the more upsetting it is when that's all taken away
0: Mm mm-hmm 100% agree Well, for our first film here that we're going to discuss, this is probably without a doubt one of the most popular or most famous, well known horror movies that is set at the 4th of July. And of course, we're referring to Jaws. There
3: is a creature alive today who has survived millions of years of evolution without change, without passion, and without logic. It lives to kill. A mindless eating machine. It will attack and devour anything. It is as if God created the devil and
0: gave him Jaws. Okay, now, guys, guess what? I'm not trying to start trouble. I know that Josh thinks I stir up trouble on purpose, but... (laughs) Looking through our top 10 all-time favorite horror movie picks, I have Jaws as number eight on my list, and I see Josh has it as number six on his list, and Dr. Shock and Dr. Walking Dead do not have it in their top 10. What the hell?
1: <laughs> <laughs> it, just, it, just didn't get, it just didn't make it into my top 10, but... I still consider it, you know, one of the, one of the great monster movies ever made, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I, it is, it is a classic for a reason. Um, and yeah, I love it. I, I try to watch it, uh, at least once a year in the summer. Yes.
2: In the summer. What a terrible time to watch it.
1: <laughs> uh that's, I it just, it's sort of, that's just, it's just the time period. That's what I do. I watch Trick or Treat in October. I watch, you know.
2: Mm-hmm. I'm the same way, but Jaws will keep me out of the water. Um, oh, yeah. You know, I'm like, I'm like some movies that don't have too much of an effect once they're over. Jaws is one that absolutely mm-hmm. works on me, on my mind. Uh, definitely. And the last
1: time I was down, I was just, uh, just came back from down. I was in Wildwood, New Jersey. And I walk on the beach in the morning, I always get up early, I go down to the beach, and I walk up and down the beach a little bit. And I actually saw on two different mornings, uh, a school of uh, porpoises out just not too far out, like around where people would be, um, just sort of uh, going up the coast there. I saw that um, on the two mornings, and I went out and and I was walking there. And I just, for some reason, even though they're porpoises, I just think of, I, I immediately thought of this movie. You know, that they can get that close in and that's yeah. a decent size. That's a decent size. I'm uh, not a fish. Obviously it's a mammal, but it's a decent size creature
2: to be oh, yeah. that close in. You know? <laughs> yeah. I, this is a movie where I actively have to try to either distract myself or fight my fear constantly. Like it's, it's like if I, if I know I'm going in the ocean, um, it's something that I have to either completely try to forget about or if I, if it for some reason does creep in, if I don't jump on that immediately and start kind of like dealing with that, I like panic and have to like, like swim for the shore wow <laughs> like instantly. In fact, we used to, when I was a kid, we used to go night swimming a lot in the swimming pool. Um, <laughs> you know, we'd sneak in there after, after it was closed and and go swimming. And even in the pool, I would have these visions of this, like, shark as big as the deep end that was in there you know right wow. and, and and you know we me and my friends would be goofing around playing like you know diving and doing stuff and then you know it would be quiet for a minute and maybe somebody you know other guys would go in the bathroom or whatever and if i would just be alone or alone in the water all of a sudden that, that would just creep in and instantly i was just terrified wow
1: And this movie's done it to a lot of people. Even when I get in the water, I love to get in the water when we're down in the ocean, you know, just to just to sort of wait out and uh, ride the waves or whatever. But because of this movie and I I teach it to my kids, too, I said, always make sure there's somebody a little further out than you. (laughs) Just so if you see them go down, you haul out, you get out as quick as you can. I always don't ever be the furthest one out. Oh, that's hilarious. And it's because of, of this movie. And I think I think anybody who gets out in the water, I mean, not anybody, but I'm, uh, the majority of people, this movie has to cross their mind in some way while they're out there. Because you know the, the, the biggest fear while you're out there, and you don't see, especially at the Jersey Shore with the way the water is, you don't see what's under the water. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there might be a crab. There might be a crab or something, but what's that going to do? A pinch a jellyfish It's going <laughs> to sting you.
0: You shark. can get some kind of ointment for a crab.
1: Yeah, so. exactly, and and, and jellyfish, <laughs> but a shark, forget it.
0: Right, exactly. It's it's really bad.
2: <laughs> and Jaws has one of my favorite setups where you've got you know this kill that happens early on in the movie, and then we know the danger is out there. And this is you know again could be considered kind of Roger Ebert's idiot plot where we know the dangers there, but you know the the mayor's told um the police chief that you know no we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and uh-huh. have this big celebration because this is our tour season and we you know we this town can't survive without it. And so we know as you know Hitchcock would say there's a bomb on the bus. But mm-hmm. I feel like this right. one works so well because of because the reasons that's happening make sense. You know, we talked uh-huh. about that. Maybe that was on movie podcast weekly we talked about that. But if the plot makes sense like like in um LA confidential those characters aren't talking to each other because they are set up they've been set up to hate each other and so it makes sense that they're not right um you know that they're not communicating the way they should be well and
0: that's right. the, that's the same kind of setup that you get in like the 1950s sci-fi stuff like it came from outer space for example i mean it that that's almost a classic um convention at, by this time i mean this many years later where um, there is one person screaming, you know, the sky is falling, and no one else really takes them seriously. But we know right. that the sky is indeed falling. And that's, uh-huh. that's powerful. Uh, and because, because look at the dread that that generates in us as viewers, because we know that there are going to be more victims before people <laughs> start believing.
1: Right. The, the, the little kid who says, can I just go out for a little bit longer?
0: You yeah. know, you're
1: immediately, you're immediately put on edge. Um, the, the dog running in and out of the water, anybody going out in the water, you know, you just, you know, something is coming and you just don't know what it is, you know, but you know, something is definitely coming and, and, um, the people are going to get a wake up call real quick, the mayor and everybody else in this town.
5: Hmm.
0: Yeah. So I, I think everybody probably listened to this podcast. I bet they've all seen it. I mean, I would be amazed if somebody has not seen Jaws but it's obviously a must-see. Um, so uh, I bet everybody knows the premise. but And I'm sure everybody probably knows it's based on the 1974 Peter Benchley uh-huh. novel, which, by the way, is based on actual events that took place in 1916. So there was a killer great white, you guys. I read this. I, I first encountered this in the Reader's Digest. They did an article about this um, a few years back. And... It, it actually started in real life on July 1st. <laughs> so, and it went to July 14th. So it was like this 14 day killing spree. And this great white shark traveled up the coast of New Jersey, terrorizing. Um, they did a lot of similar things that you have in Jaws, where they called in a fish expert and there was a old crusty sea captain. Um, the first victim, like, this shark, the real life shark they had, they ended up having a tug of war, you know, the people on the beach or whatever. Some people got, you know, a hold of the victim and the shark was tugging. (laughs) I mean, just think of how horrifying that would be. And that was like real life. And it, it ate a little boy and there were a lot of close calls. It killed like a total of five people. This freak shark, it was a rogue shark, just like um, Jaws. And it actually swam up, and this is like unheard of, but it swam up in this channel up this creek, and it ate a couple of people and then swam back out. so it was nuts and they tried to blow it up with dynamite at one point. and what ended up happening on July 14th, and this is not a spoiler for the movie so but because this is real um, there were two men in a small boat, and they truly did need a bigger boat <laughs> they they actually they snagged this shark in their fishing net. And then it tried to come into the boat to get them, you know, like wow. we see in Jaws. And they used an oar handle and they beat it in the head. They like beat it to death. And when they examined the, the shark, it was a female, great white. And inside there were human remains, including an 11 inch shin bone of a young boy. Very sad. So that was the mm. inspiration to Jaws. Wow. Freaky, right?
1: That is freaky. That's very freaky. Yeah. Um, and you know another uh, great scene in this movie that I think is is really chilling. Um, it's not and you, it, it's completely verbal, and that is uh, Quint's story about the USS Indianapolis.
0: Yes, which is another true yes.
1: story about um, just the way, he, the way he tells her, and Robert Shaw delivers that perfectly.: Yes. And I mean, you're like on the edge of your seat and to think of that, and that is based on a true story too. And Mm -hmm. because they were delivering the bomb, they, it was a secret mission. So they weren't even reported as overdue, you know, overdue for a while um, because nobody even knew what was going on. And they were floating in the water for days and just being picked off one by one by these sharks. You know I mean the, the, a lot of them just were pulled on and you're you're seeing you can't see these things you're floating in the water for that long those many days, knowing that there are killers underneath you, and you could be next at any
0: given moment that is my favorite um part of the entire movie is that story, yeah. so you nail i mean that is absolutely the highlight to me because it, it's it's horrifying as you say, yeah, and it yeah. happened
1: and it and it happened i mean there's actually a made-for-TV movie out there where Stacey Keach called the saga of the USS Indianapolis, where they reenact
0: that. Oh, my goodness. Yeah.
2: Funny, um, I was going to bring this up later, but Kevin Smith fans will know that he's a huge fan of Jaws. He actually appears in that The Shark Is Still Working documentary, but um, you know, his two main characters in Mallrats are named Brody and Quint. And uh, <laughs> there's a scene in Chasing Amy where they're in this gay bar in New York and they start comparing stories and they're of a sexual nature. Um, but they're, I remember
1: that. Yeah. They
2: result in battle scars and, um, it's very much based on the scene from Jaws and, um, and even the production design. If you look behind them, the production designer built these little windows that resemble the boat windows, um, on the wall behind them on the, on that set. (laughs) Mm-hmm. And for people who don't know, Kevin Smith is, uh just written a movie called Moose Jaws <laughs> that nice. is set in Moose Jaw, Canada, and is basically Jaws with a moose. <laughs> that's oh, that's going to be that's one awesome. of his, the third installment of his Far North trilogy.
0: <laughs> oh, I can't wait. What was the other one we're waiting off on of his, Josh? So he did one called Tusk. Yes, um, that's yes. It's set
2: in Canada. Then he did one called... Um, <laughs> He has one coming up called something hosers. I can't remember.
0: Yoga hosers. Yoga
2: hosers. And then moose jaws.
0: <laughs> Man. I
2: can't, That's awesome.
0: I cannot wait. I don't know about yoga hosers, but I can't wait for this other <laughs> two. I mean, that sounds so good. And Tusk is
2: going to be incredible. And, and the thing about Tusk and moose jaws is they were both inspired from just stories that, you know, just flights of fancy from his podcast that him and Scott Mosier were just – making each other laugh with ridiculous stories and they both
0: turned into feature films. That's brilliant. Nice. Now, Josh, tell us about um, The Shark is Still Working film from 2007. Is this a documentary you'd recommend?
2: It's a documentary that just floated around forever. It took them forever to get the rights from Universal to release it. Um, Universal was really uncooperative and it had all these amazing interviews, you know, with everybody from Spielberg to, you know, the whole crew and, And and it's not a great documentary in terms of filmmaking necessarily, but as behind the scenes documentaries go, it's probably the most comprehensive look at the making of Jaws that exists. And it's on the new Blu-ray. You can see it on the new
0: Jaws Blu-ray. But so, oh wow, they have it actually as part of that then.
2: Yeah, it's become now you know played film festivals for like five years.
0: Um, awesome. Because
2: they, they couldn't get a distributor because of Universal. And then finally, Universal embraced the film eventually.
0: But. That's nuts. Why wouldn't they think that that would actually get them more, you know, uh, viewers of Jaws? I mean, right? I mean, that's insane. Yeah, yeah I don't know. Anyways, but thanks for telling i tell us. you,
1: one, one of the more bizarre things I've seen with regard to Jaws is, um, I saw this in a documentary uh, on the Maniac Blu-ray When um, Spielberg ran into Joe Spinell and a friend of his, you know, the star of Maniac and a friend of his and invited them over to watch the Academy Award nominations being read out because he was thinking he would be nominated for Best Director. And the camera is running when Spielberg finds out he did not get nominated for Jaws. (laughs) And there's Joe Spinell, you know, Maniac wearing a Jaws t-shirt and the coat he wore from The Godfather, railing <laughs> against the Academy for not nominating Steven Spielberg for Best Director.
2: Spielberg does not take a while in that video. It's pretty embarrassing for him, actually. He just it assumes is. he deserves the, the nomination. And, and I think, I, <laughs> for some reason, Spielberg
1: does strike... When it comes to the to the Oscars, he strikes me as someone who takes them very, very seriously to the point yeah. that it really does bother him when he when he doesn't win or if he doesn't get a nomination. I mean, it's like, yeah. and that's why I think he started doing some of those, uh, what I guess they call Oscar bait movies, Color Purple and, yeah. and, and things like that. I think that's sort of when he drifted into those to try and finally get one because nobody was paying attention when he was doing Jaws and Close Encounters and Ray's of the Lost Ark and whatnot. Uh, I mean, I, I just, he, he really, really does take it. I mean, I remember the whole thing when, um saving private ryan was up for best picture and shakespeare in love and and uh, how he was um the, the the whole thing between him and the weinsteins um for the way that they were pushing you know shakespeare in love and um i mean right now i don't think anybody thinks shakespeare love, at least i don't think shakespeare in love was a better movie than saving private ryan
0: that movie sucks <laughs> i'm just <laughs> kidding but yeah i'm with you <laughs>
1: so he he takes me, but you're right he takes it he takes it kind of bad, and it's almost like joe Spinell takes the takes the focus off of him in a way with with his antics hmm. but um yeah, Spielberg you could tell he's uh he was kind of
0: crushed oh, <laughs> <laughs> poor guy, but still he's um, a bit of a
2: baby about it
0: well and <laughs> and people who have worked with him i haven't worked with him, obviously, but people who have worked with him said that he is really. He's got a very childlike personality, and and, you know, all the way around. And I think that's part of his creative magic and so forth. Uh And so, it sounds like that carries through across the board with him.
1: Yeah, to everything and to like other aspects of his personality and his life, I guess. Yeah.
0: But a couple things on Jaws here as I rewatched it for this podcast. um, I noticed that, so the little boy victim, Alex, okay, his mother wears a yellow hat that really stands out in this movie. Uh And then Alex is on a yellow raft. And I think that that was done to correlate and connect them because you've got so many people in that scene. And then when everybody runs out of the water and we've we've just witnessed this yellow raft and this kid get just chomped to bits and bloods everywhere, then we just have this mom in a yellow hat. And I think that's there to help us psychologically... Um, kind of put those two together as a, as a family. Possibly. I think that was pretty cool.
1: But the really dramatic moment in that is obviously her, everyone's now out of the water and her realizing her son is not out of the water.
0: Yeah, that's...
1: You the, know, uh, and uh, a lot of people have been talking about the scene where she walks up to Brody. She's being led by somebody. who, Like a lot of people have wondered, who is that supposed to be? That person leading her, you know, walking with her.
0: I always thought of it as like a relative, like a brother, maybe her or, brother. Or,
1: or something, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I guess so. Because People have asked me that question, said, who is it? Is it, is it, it's not her husband. It's not, well, because obviously her husband would have something to say too, I would think. Right. Um, it, I, was, it became a discussion when we, when we um, it, it became a topic when we'd done this on Land of the Creeps.
0: Yeah, it could have been. Who do
1: you think that is?
0: Her minister, perhaps. Her pastor. Possibly,
1: I was, or 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 something along those lines. You know, I, like, was she well off? Is it a chauffeur? Who knows?
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Um, another thing I picked up on, which just happened to be coincide with 2014, is that the dates in this movie lined up with our calendar this year. I've done some weird calendar stuff on this podcast. I realize, but like. On well, this movie, Sunday was on the twenty ninth, which meant that the fourth of July was on a Friday, just like this year. So, that kind of tickled my fancy. <laughs> uh-huh. I know nice. you guys. Think <laughs> you guys think I'm a nerd. <laughs> what about this? Maybe you guys know this. In Jaws, at um the one hour thirty six minute mark, um you can actually see shooting stars behind yes. Brody. Now, are those real or are they those really? are
1: real? I saw that um in the in the documentary they just happened to catch a shooting star um filming that sequence. That is real.
0: Yeah, there's like a few of them in fact and then yep. there's the, that scene where it's behind Brody and then they do another like distant shot you know of the boat just in the water mm-hmm. and you get more shooting stars and I'm like, "Man, that is very serendipitous if that is real." I and, it, and
1: like it, from what I understand, yes, it was it was authentic. They did actually capture that uh, like a real event.
0: Incredible. And I just have one last thing to say Pretty about awesome. this as we, um, before we go into ratings. But uh, I think one of the reasons that Chief Brody is such an effective character in this film is because he has the weakness. He has the weakness where he has a fear of the water in the first place. So uh-huh. having Brody out on a boat in the ocean is already pretty scary to him and very uncomfortable for him. But then you take that and ramp it up to the next level um, (laughs) and add a killer shark to that. I mean, that's what horror is. like, As I've defined it in the past, it's taking something that would be dramatic, like you have a girl who is sick and has pneumonia, that's drama. But you have a girl who is possessed with a demon, that's horror. And that's kind of... How this this works too I mean it becomes horror for Brody because it's it's something compounded on top of a fear that he already has it's incredible right. Oh, one one other thing what did you guys think of the 4th of July usage in this movie I mean did you feel like is this something that you could recommend that the listeners watch on the 4th of July and really feel like they're celebrating the holiday with a horror movie
1: uh, I don't think as much I don't think as much with this one um, you know, it's, it's, it's mentioned it's there a few times, uh, but it's not it's a few times, but it's not
2: a, a focal point by any stretch, you know, mm-hmm. I don't think there's any good movie though, that does have it as a focal point. So if I was, you know, if I was, uh, intent on watching a horror movie on the 4th of July, I think this is top of the list for me.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, I, I, I if you got a, if you're just looking for a good, like the best movie that um takes place around the 4th of july this is the one i mean you're not going to do any better
2: and it feels like a very summery movie i mean it's yes great yeah it's i mean it makes me want to go to like nantucket like instantly Mm -hmm. you know even the opening credits are just that that nice beach
1: setting there Mm -hmm. you know as as the uh, uh, that's that's part of the reason why i do watch i try to watch at least once a and one of my
2: favorite Somewhere. scenes in the movie is that shot of Brody watching the people on the beach. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that's one of the greatest shot scenes in cinema history as far as I'm concerned. It's
0: incredible. Mm-hmm. It, it is. Then, Josh, in case the listeners just aren't super familiar with like the language of film, just in case, tell them why it is so great. Because it is.
2: It, it's got a lot of interesting things going on. I, I wish I'd written some notes if I'd known you were in a... Put me on the spot here, but I love the, the way that there, there are these cross. There are people crossing the frame, and as they cross frame, you're jump cutting um, forward, like you're zooming in. You're punching in, I guess, uh-huh. would be what you would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just super, super effective because not only not only is that happening, and you're seeing what Brody's looking at getting closer and closer, but he's getting closer and closer. This giant crowd is suddenly becoming more and more claustrophobic. And you just really get this sense of his vision being obscured and you're trying to see what he's trying to see. And it just, it just works so well.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. Definitely.
1: Yeah. And that, that guy's talking to him and he's trying to look over the shoulder. He hears somebody screaming and he looks and it's just these, uh, these teenagers playing in the water. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There, you're right. There's a lot going on there. Yeah, there's, there's some that, fun that, Mr.
2: X there. Yeah. And, and
1: that it, one, that one shot where it's almost like, this is something I remember from, from class where it's. And, Josh, you would know this better than I would, but it's, it's a, uh, uh, what is it, like a, a zoom-out, track-in type thing? Yes. Yeah. Where the exactly. background suddenly uh, it either gets, clo- it gets closer. I know Scorsese did one of those in Goodfellas.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think people trace it back to Jules and Jim, uh, the French mm-hmm. film. Uh, Hitchcock right. used it. Um,
0: I love that famously.
2: Um, it's I, I believe it's in mm-hmm. Halloween – Two or three, two, uh, two or four, one of those. <laughs> um, but, but a lot of movies use Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Ring used it pretty right. effectively. But it's a, it's a popular shot, probably getting to be overdone. But in Jaws, it was a perfect use of that shot. Perfect. It executed so Yes,
1: well. it really was. It was, it, and it just, it's it, absolutely. Um, I know Woody Allen did it. He didn't actually do the track or the movement of the camera, but he did the, um, for that bridge scene in Manhattan to make the bridge look so much bigger in the background. And um, obviously the camera, the lens, it wasn't moving at the time, but it's that whole thing. I just remember that from my, from my classes that it's that the whole thing, just to make the background so much bigger.
0: And, and correct me if I'm wrong, Josh. Now I'll probably have this reversed, but they're actually, what's going on there is they dolly in while they zoom out or do they zoom in? Do they dolly in while they, well, the opposite of what You can actually I said. do
2: either; it has a slightly different effect, but okay. they, I mean, what's happening is you're taking it from being a shot where everything's in focus to suddenly your entire background is crunching. That's what that's what would happen when when you you know change if you were to like do a rack focus, but because you're also moving the camera at the same time, your character stays. The same in the frame, so yes. it's, I don't know. It's, yes. it's a very weird kind of effect. It's
1: the background. It's the background moving, not the character. So it, yeah. it's it's jarring in a way. Like I know in Goodfellas, it's it's just very jarring, you know. And it's mm-hmm. a scene where the two, where Robert De Niro and and um, Ray Liotta are sitting in a diner talking.
0: Yeah, tremendous, absolutely. And and by the way, I mean that whole beach shot that Josh is talking about. That's another great example. I mean, if people want to, I guess start looking at more carefully how the cinema can be effectively used to actually show what's happening in the story and like not just I mean a lot of people think of storytelling as the characters say dialogue and then that moves the plot forward but we can actually see a lot of things happening that are very cinematic in that in that scene as Josh was describing that actually moves the plot forward and and tells us so much with hardly anything being said. I mean, nothing is actually being said about chief Brody's concerns, but it's all there on the screen. Right. It's tremendous. Okay. So let's rate this baby. We'll start with you. Wolfman, Josh, what do you rate jaws?
2: First, I want to say, I just feel like this is a movie that although, it's, you know, the color, the film stock, the wardrobe, things like that feel dated. The movie holds up tremendously. It's every bit as effective now as it was the first time I saw it. I think it's um, a really, really strong film. If you haven't seen it, you should. Um, I also want, you know, we've been talking about some of these shots. A lot of that's Spielberg. He was a student of film, but I also need to give a shout out to my man, Bill Butler, the cinematographer. Um, I got a chance to work with him uh, on a terrible little independent uh, horror film, called Evil Angel, but um, he shot some of the greatest films of all time um, including Jaws The Godfather, Deliverance, The Conversation um, oh. he finished One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest after Haskell Wexler was fired he shot Grease um, and horror fans will remember films like Child's Play um, he shot uh, Frailty, which is one of my favorite horror movies so good. of all time so the guy is um, a tremendous asset Especially having worked with him, I think a lot of it is Spielberg in this in this instance and his kind of movie geek knowledge. But <laughs> there's some insanely executed cinematography in this movie. Yeah, and I, I, he actually shot me once in in I, I did a little featured extra scene. I was shooting the behind the scenes documentary for Evil Angel, and he was the cinematographer. And they needed you know a guy to jump in, so I was like a featured extra in one of the scenes, and he. And I got shot by Bill Butler, which was awesome.
0: Is that the one where you in the bathroom? Did you ever see that? <laughs> An evil angel? Yeah. No. Did, sh-
2: did I send you that clip in the bathroom?
0: Uh, <laughs> I think you did at one point. I forgot to watch it. I'm a terrible yeah, person. We're
2: gonna have to. We're gonna have to upload it for our, our listeners somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> definitely, man.
0: Link. I, link to it. I just. I mean, what? Uh, what? What possessed um, Richard Dutcher to do a horror film? That's what I want to know.
2: Um, I don't know it's more in his nature than most of the stuff he does oh, okay <laughs> um, but he just has terrible aesthetic uh, <laughs> tastes but anyway Enough about Richard Dutcher. Let's get back to Spielberg's excellent <laughs> horror film. Right. Jaws, um, which to me is a 10 out of 10. doesn't get better. So, um, yeah, it's an absolute must-own. I own probably seven different copies of this movie from VHS to DVD releases to the newest version of the Blu-ray, of which I own two because I accidentally bought it twice. So, um, <laughs> definitely worth buying.
0: Very nice. Okay, so Josh says it's a 10. He says buy it for sure. And uh, what do you say, Doctor Shock?
1: Well, it might not be in my top ten, but it's still on my overall list. Uh, it's a ten, yeah. Uh, it's it's an absolute classic. Um, Interesting enough, the very first thing I ever saw from Jaws was on Cisco uh, and Ebert back in the '80s, and I can't remember what the theme of the show was. If I don't think it was Spielberg, I think it had something to do with just sort of great movies coming out on video, maybe. Um, but they were looking at the scene where um, Brody is on the boat, you know, throwing the chum out into the water. And he, you know, he says, you know, you know slow ahead. Why don't you come down here and shovel some of this, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and at that exact moment, the shark comes out. And, and they were talking about, Cisco and Ebert were talking about how effective that was. What Spielberg did there was he gets people laughing and boom, throws that in there immediately. He goes, they go from laugh to scream in the theater yeah. when, when that popped up. Um, and they were just saying what a, you know, how brilliant that was. That was the first moment I ever actually saw from Jaws. It made me want to see the movie. I saw it very shortly after
0: that. Mm-hmm. And- uh,
1: it was funny. I saw Jaws 2 before I saw the original Jaws. Yikes. Like a while before <laughs> I saw, because I saw Jaws 2 in, in a, in a drive in a double feature, that and a roller coaster uh, back in when <laughs> Jaws 2 first came out. My parents took, me and my brother do this double feature at nice. uh, a drive-in, but um, no, it's 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 a ten. It's it's an absolute, it's an absolute classic, and it's it's a movie that uh, you you pop in at any time, and you're you're going to get the same experience every
2: time. Well, I think a, I think a scene. This is a weird reference, but I think Scream um, totally borrowed the feeling of that scene um, where they've got like the camera. In the kids' house watching them, and you've got um, the Courtney Cox character out in the van uh, observing the party, and the party's yes. going on inside. And there's a scene where Jamie Kennedy is sitting on the couch watching Halloween, um, and he's saying, look behind you, Jamie. And look it, behind be, you. And there's somebody mm-hmm. behind him. And there's someone yeah. behind him, and it's funny and <laughs> terrifying at the same time. Yeah. Right. right. And it also has to do with misdirection. The character doesn't know that that is behind them, you know? Yeah, right.
0: Well, in in that same scene with the chum that you were describing, Doc Shock, another reason that's so effective is um, almost in every instance, and I paid attention to that this time around, um, th- the shark is cued by its theme music. It has that rachetive, as they say, where it has its own theme, the famous theme that everybody knows. And so every Aww. every other instance, we know the shark is near or coming, but in that chum scene... We don't get any warning, and it just pops out of the water. So it's a right. tremendous scare, and it's very effective.
2: Right, got to be the and most th- p- attempted to play thing ever on a piano, right? Like, yeah. it's probably been a, <laughs> oh yeah, probably been played more than so. any other song in the world.
0: And I think I tried. I think correctly. I
1: tried to. I think I tried to do it on a harmonica one time when I was younger. <laughs> yeah. It's <I> <laughs> harder, it not a, very well. It's also less effective on a harmonica. Yeah. Oh, like yes, because there's be there's nothing there. <laughs> Very few things work. Other than the blues, nothing much works on a harmonica, to be Jaw honest with you. Would be a good, uh... <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, and I will say, too, as far as piano, um, that Jaws theme is probably also the most successful attempt at recreating music as well. And, in fact, I, I learned in my um, film history class <laughs> that when, um, I guess I'll probably mess up some of these details, but this is the gist of it. When John Williams showed up to, like, you know, play the theme he had in mind, they laughed at him. They're like, they're like, ah, that's funny. Okay, so what's the real song?
1: Yes, that's what I heard. Spiel- <laughs> Spielberg said he laughed and said, "That's that's very funny." But what what what's the real music you got from me? I know I heard that same thing. Yeah, um, but brilliant. I mean, you look. At, I mean, you think of it uh, when you think of horror movies and, and and recognizable music. I mean, you've got Halloween, you've got Psycho and Jaws. I think those are the, probably the top three, and I think Jaws is probably I would say probably number one.
0: Mm-hmm. As far as most yeah. recognizable, yes. Yep. Definitely. For mainstream.
2: Sure. More, much more mainstream. Uh, recognizable. Right. Right. Well, this movie's a huge success, Guy. I mean, it was, a, it was shot for $9 million. Uh-huh. And it's be, what became the most successful movie of all time when it came out, which is crazy. It was the the. Where the summer
1: blockbuster was created, in a way.
0: Yes. I mean, it was true. the
1: first summer blockbuster.
0: It is.
2: I mean, no other horror movie has been as successful. Correct. That's crazy. Yep.
0: That is yep. crazy.
2: Maybe Paranormal Activity or Blair Witch Project based on their budgets, but... Right. So,
0: right. So something I learned from Carl over on Movie Podcast Weekly, he told me that, you know, because Spielberg, when he did this, he was still pretty... Pretty wet behind the ears, so to speak. And Verna Fields was the film editor to this. And he said that she actually saved his bacon. And much later, you know, in her career, like at the end, like before she died, Carl heard an interview where she basically said, yeah, there were or maybe Spielberg said it. I don't know. Sorry, I'm I'm terrible with my references tonight. But, but the truth of the matter is she helped him. Um, bring this movie home so to speak because there were lots of things in in the editing that he didn't even have so she would tell him you need a shot of this you need a shot of this and this and this and this and so Verna Fields is, is an un, unsung hero of this film and that mm-hmm. film editor actually had a huge part in making Jaws great.
1: That's, that's interesting and I think um, it, it, Spielberg I think uh, and I haven't seen the documentary yet but um, was obviously very overwhelmed on this with the shark not working
5: mm-hmm.
1: um, and just filming out at sea, which I, I understand was extremely difficult. There's, one, uh, there's a story, and I, th- I want to say, I, I think it's in Easy Riders, Raging Bulls, um, the, the film where they're interviewing Richard Dreyfuss. And Richard Dreyfuss is talking about how he shot his scenes for Jaws. Then he went back to New York and they still had another however many days, week, whatever, to shoot out on the water. He said he was walking in New York and all of a sudden he sees Steven Spielberg on the streets of New York. And he went up and he said, What are you doing here? You know, I thought you still had these shots. And he said, Spielberg just with a smile on his face looked at him and says, I can't. He, he gave it over to his assistant director. He says, I, I just can't because he was so overwhelmed. Now, this is wow. again Richard Dreyfus telling this story, but. Wow. Supposedly, he just was so overwhelmed and so, so many problems making this movie that he had to walk away from it for a while and and turn it over to his assistant director to um, to finish some of the scenes.
0: So maybe Spielberg really shouldn't have gotten an Oscar for that.
2: Perhaps, (laughs) maybe not. Right?
0: (laughs) I I mean, I don't know, Josh, is that fair or unfair?
2: Yeah, maybe Beethoven wasn't so great. (laughs)
0: Do you mean the dog movie, Beethoven? Okay. so That was
2: also shot by Bill Butler. Um, (laughs) I'm I'm looking um, on the Forbes top grossing horror movies list. They have Jaws listed at number three still, not accounting for inflation. And I would suggest that the number one movie they have listed here is not a horror movie, Jurassic Park. So um, based on the Forbes list, Um, The Sixth Sense is the only movie that's even marginally considered a horror movie that gets close to beating Jaws, um, even now, not adjusted for inflation.
0: Could you send me the link to that? I'll link it in the show notes. All right. Awesome. Okay, and as for my rating for Jaws, this is um, my number eight all-time favorite horror film. It is in my top ten. This is a ten out of ten, and I say definitely buy Jaws. Okay, guys. Now let's move into our feature review of Cape Fear from 1991.
3: Somebody's out there. What's your connection with this fella? I was his lawyer. Well, <laughs> oh, it just shafted him somehow, right?
5: And what was he in prison for?
3: No, really. What? But what did you do? Have you been following me? Well, it's a small town. Every way you turn, I guess we're going to run into each other. Dad, <laughs> you should have just punched him out. Yeah, you know how to fight dirty. You do that for a living. This guy, uh, he threatened you? He's clever. So that the law can't touch him.
0: Come out, come out, wherever you are.
3: You have a daughter around 16?
0: 16? What?
3: Every good man's got to wrestle with the
0: devil. All right, guys. Cape Fear. <sighs> you know, I guess I'll just start off ticking people off right now sorry I don't want to do it but I have to I love Martin Scorsese just so everybody knows I love him I love Robert De Niro but for some reason nothing
2: controversial here so far
0: I know as many (laughs) but as many times as I've tried to watch this film and I've seen it a few times I just I never love it I never love this film and I honestly Ah. it's not a horror film to me it's a thriller to me and that's fine. Who cares, you know? But I'm just saying, uh, th- this film really loses it for me, you guys. And I, and I think my my problem is if I were to try to you know identify it, um, it's it's very engaging, and all of the De Niro character, all, all that he does to harass this family is is very just aggressive and and that's scary in that sense. But then where it goes. Is just ridiculous to me, or something? It's like it doesn't pay off. Uh, you know, it's not nearly as as creepy or scary as the things that he did earlier in the film. So it all—it's uh, almost like the film goes backwards and it gets generic. I mean, it starts out very smart and severe, and then it just gets so generic to me. Uh, what do you guys say?
1: I—if I the—the I, the only thing that I—I I would say about the movie is sometimes it's and this is a feeling i got um you, know, you don't watch it sometimes it's it's very you know scorsese is a very stylish director sometimes this thing has a lot it, there are things that just seem like it's it's style for style's sake Artie. at times in the movie yeah like like the some of the some of the um like uh the the, the tracking when um or whatever it is when nick nolte's driving um, and it just goes, goes in on him real quick. And there's some things that just seem to me that, but that aside, um, Robert De Niro <laughs> in this movie, I mean, he's, he's what I think really makes the movie for me anyway, is just the way he, he, he plays that character. I mean, the 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 little things he does in this, I mean, there's a, um, a key scene later on where, where um, uh, Nick Nolte, he's, he's going to have these guys, you know, beat him up uh, just to sort of, sort of end this whole thing. this this, this torment and Robert Niro turns the tables on him and, and, and Nick Nolte's sort of hiding there. And, and you hear just, that, just the way he says it, like, counselor, you know, like he sort <laughs> of, you know, he doesn't. And he's not even 100 percent sure he's there, but it's just like, wow. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the the things he does in, in in this movie are, you know, and it's not the normal uh, De Niro. I mean, De Niro has played you know bastards for one of another word in, in 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 movies before, right? But this is just a, a whole different level, and then and that really creepy scene with uh, Juliette Lewis. Yes. Um. At the school. Yes. Yeah, at the school. Yeah. This is just. I mean if if it he's what makes this this for me uh, an unf- an unforgettable movie.
5: Mm-hmm.
1: You know and Gregory and Pe- uh, in, in the original um Robert Mitchum was very good in the original. Yes. You know Cape Fear. He was excellent in that movie too. And it was funny Gregory Peck you know was um one of the producers of Cape Fear. And he was lamenting the fact that you know he took the role of the father. He says um, who it does like before he even knew who they cast in the part of, of Cody, he said, um, uh, this had, there's a potential to really overshadow, you know, the, 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 the who's the hero of this piece. And then well, obviously once it was Robert Mitchum, it's game over, you know, for, for, for Gregory Peck in that movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's a lot of the same in, in this film. You know, I mean, it's it's Robert De Niro that you remember. It's the scenes with him, and 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 just how
2: how he is.
0: Mm-hmm. I'd agree with that. What do you say, Josh?
2: Well, I love this movie. It sounds like a lot more than you guys. I I this movie blew my mind when I rewatched it. I had seen it before when it came out. I would probably revisited it at least once on video. I'm I'm more familiar with the original actually, just because it was a movie I kind of like had to search out. And this was a movie that, um, you know, just was on TV and in theaters and stuff when I was kind of growing up. So this one kind of washed over me a little bit more. The other one was one as an adult, I had to kind of go look for. So I was more familiar with the Gregory Peck, Robert Mitchum version. Um, and you know, I, I remembered De Niro, like you guys are saying, he was the thing that stuck out to me about this film. Um, but upon rewatch, I well, just, I couldn't believe it. I was, I was in my garage actually. I had come home for the 4th of July and we were going to do all these 4th of July movies. And I, and I watched, um, I was cleaning out my garage and I had this on kind of in the background. I thought just to kind of revisit it and, you know, take some notes or whatever. Um, I was doing other stuff basically is what I'm trying to say. And the first thing that absolutely caught me off guard was the score, um, by Bernard Herman, who is you know one of Hitchcock's most um, famed collaborators? And basically, right. when I I I was just sitting there cleaning, and I heard that music come in, and I was it just pulled me right in. I, this feels, this sounds like Hitchcock, you know. And I and I sat and watched it for a while, and it just completely sucked me, and I I had to just basically sit and watch the entire movie because I was I was totally blown away. It feels like it's about thirty years older than it is, and I. I'm saying that as a compliment. Um, It's a 1991 movie. It has the feel of kind of like a body heat, which is a type of movie I absolutely love
5: anyway. But
2: then to bring in, not only did they bring in um, this music of Bernard Herrmann, which they they re-recorded, but they used unused music um, that Bernard Herrmann had written for Torn Curtain and that Hitchcock never liked. And so this music had just been abandoned, and it was actually what broke up Herman and Hitchcock from working together. So this music had never really been in the movie, nice. and the composer, uh, Elmer Bernstein, was a huge fan of Leonard, and he pitched this to Scorsese: "What if we just re-record um, the torn curtain music
0: and put, wow. it, put it in facts, here?" Good Josh. Good. Yeah, facts. that's awesome. <laughs> Which they <laughs>
2: did, and it is insane, and it f- makes it feel like a Hitchcock movie almost instantly. The other thing that makes it feel like a Hitchcock movie. Are, are the opening titles, which are designed by Saul Bass and his wife. Uh, Scorsese went and found Saul Bass. who was almost dead at this point and uh, had him do this opening um, titles montage the way he used to do for Hitchcock's films. And it's this really weird kind of psychedelic opening. Yeah. Um, that's and, and it just, again, just sucked me in. And, and you know, and obviously – De Niro's the guy to watch in this, but I Scorsese is working so hard on this movie, and you know you guys called it a little bit style for style's sake, which is fair. But on the other hand, like I just appreciate that so much as a viewer to see somebody putting so much effort into it, and that, and I just love th- these camera moves. They're just they're they're at once Hitchcockian. It's all the stuff that Scorsese ripped ripped off from Hitchcock. But he does it hmm. in a slightly more Hitchcockian way than he usually does. You know, a little less frenetic than usual. Um, it,
1: sorry. It's it's interesting that that you mentioned that. You're right. It is very very Hitchcockian, and the fact that the original was not a Hitchcock movie. You know yeah. that 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 Scorsese takes that approach to it. That's that's very interesting.
2: Yeah, and, and as good as De Niro is, I feel like Nick Nolte really shines in this movie. I feel like he. Is he's so willing to take kind of that second banana role and he does it so well and he, he plays it just right. Um, I also feel like Juliet Lewis and um and Jessica Lang are both really really strong in this movie. Jessica Lang is giving such a weird performance and it and it um matches or complements De Niro's weird performance so well. That's um, true, that's true. Yep. And, and Nolte gives that kind of what feels like kind of a classic Hitchcock role performance of this guy who just like cannot escape this impending doom, almost like a vertigo type of a thing. Or I don't know, like I I'd probably come up with a better example. But um, anyway, I, I was really mesmerized by this movie and I feel like it's kind of criminally underrated as I as I rewatched it. So, yeah, I, I loved it. I, I was really I was really happy. Hmm.
0: Well (laughs) Well done, Josh. That was a very good sales pitch. I bet you if there are listeners out there who have not seen it, they will definitely watch it now because of your review there.
1: I will agree with that. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: It's definitely, okay, let me just say I'm not backpedaling or anything, but I'll just say it's definitely entertaining. It's definitely engaging. Like, you're there the whole time. And yeah, yeah, like, I dare people to try to not pay attention to this movie and see what happens next. It has a great pacing. Um, uh-huh. You always want to see what comes next and and what comes next is <laughs> more um, unsettling and upsetting than what what preceded it and, and until you get to the end that is. and and I think maybe one of my problems is in the end, the the final sequence, um, I think that some of the action there that occurs is a little bit unclear. It's a little bit, obscured at least for me and i've seen it like i said a few times and i still think it's hard to understand exactly what's going on or how certain things are happening in that final sequence that now did you guys have any problems with that or not
2: it wasn't a major problem for me but i see what you what you mean I, I,
1: yeah I, but it didn't it didn't really bother me
0: and okay. I, and i and i and i and i also
2: don't disagree with your criticisms, by the way of, you know, that it doesn't really get as horrific as it kind of promises to. But again, like for me, that was just, it felt like it was kind of keeping, you know, in the, in the tone of kind of a Hitchcockian film. And so like, that f- it felt right to me.
0: Well, do you, okay. I, I, I acknowledge that. And I think that's a good point, but do you know, I guess where I expect this to go, do you guys remember in the Hills have eyes <laughs> when they first get into the camper? You know, into yeah. that, uh-huh. how ugly and yeah. and and her, horrendous it gets. I really expected that oh, movie to go there's there. There's a
2: pretty ugly scene in this movie, of you know that's somewhat similar. I would say it's not with it's not with our main characters, but it's kind of like a It's kind of a oh yeah a flashback scene.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's definitely got some unsettling stuff. But I'm just saying that I thought the climax was gonna go to somewhere that dark and. I, I don't know um I I don't know I it's it, you know it's hard for me to really criticize it honestly it's because like I said i but it, but in terms of you know like for a thriller it's tr- tremendous that way but for a horror film it just probably doesn't go far enough for my tastes I guess but anyway and,
1: and I, I I I mean if you're gonna look at it for as as a horror movie obviously what's happening to Nick Nolte's character is very I mean that's that's not something you, you 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 can just deal with. I mean that's something that will consume your every waking moment if your family's being threatened in that way by this by by somebody who's insane. Mhm. You know, I mean that that's I think that's pretty horrific.
0: It's true, but it's it's like almost what? 95% psychological. I mean that's a it, it's a lot to ask of a, a Of a horror audience, if they're looking to be scared, and I I acknowledge that. I think
2: you were fair when you said that this is more of a a thriller, and I think that's okay. I mean, I, um, you know, we we argue about movies like Silence of the Lambs and Misery, and for me, those are horror movies because I think that Kathy Bates and Misery is one of the you know scariest horror monsters of all time, movie monsters of all time. Um, Mm -hmm. Hannibal Lecter certainly is. I think. De Niro's character has all that potential, um, but you're right. I don't think he ever quite gets there. And so, for for that reason, I would say you know this is more of a thriller. But but De Niro's definitely bringing it. It just the the plotting doesn't seem to take it where where maybe Marty would be more comfortable taking it later on. Even in a movie like The Departed, but definitely in something like um, Shutter Island or something.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. What What about the Fourth of July? tie-ins and the fireworks in this how, how did so you feel cool. it it stands up for a fourth of july type of um the chiller
2: well again for me it doesn't seem particularly fourth of july um as the overarching kind of you know tone but it, you know it's obviously there and it definitely feels hot and sweaty and summery and and you know it's a good summer movie choice for those reasons but man the the fireworks scene in this movie is, is a, is one of the great movie scenes in my opinion.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you, do you want to describe that a little bit, Josh?
2: Yeah. I mean, I, it, you'll see it if you watch the trailer, but it's essentially, you know, um, Nick Nolte's family is, is kind of in fear of this, of this guy. And at this point, I'm not sure if I remember correctly, Jessica Lange and um, Juliet Lewis aren't really aware of how deep and how serious, right the uh danger is nick nolte Mm. is but um yeah but but de niro's sitting on this wall outside their house staring at their bedroom window and fireworks are going off all around him and he has this seemingly weird psychic connection to uh to jessica lang nolte's wife and (laughs) and he has this and he has just this menacing crazy laugh throughout the movie that is just super unsettling (laughs) <laughs> and, uh, and I love that sh- shot and that scene. I mean, it's, it's super creepy and just iconic.
0: Yeah, and, and I give it credit for that, too, because even though it's pretty brief as far as that goes, I, I suspect that fireworks would be hard to capture on film and really, you know, convey them. Because,
2: well, that one was done with a green screen, actually. Was it? Um, yeah, and, um, but it, you can't tell. It's done. It's done really well. But, you know, that was actually um, I was watching the behind the scenes documentary and it was a funny little um, moment where the the guy who was doing those visual effects, you know, put in what he thought was an appropriate amount of effects. And he took it to Scorsese and there's like more. (laughs) uh, Okay, And he went and he put more in and more. Okay, And the third time he came back, he said, do what you think is too much and then do more and then bring it to me. (laughs) Wow.
0: <laughs> wow. <laughs> that's that's awesome. Yeah. Good wow, Josh, you are on fire tonight with your factoids. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm impressed. Okay, well let's wrap up this review then with final thoughts and rating. I guess I'll go first. For me it's definitely um I mean you can't go wrong. It's a good it's a good time. For me it's a six out of ten. And I say definitely rent Cape Fear from nineteen ninety one. What do you say, Doc?
1: I'm a little bit more than you. I'm going to go uh, actually a 7 out of 10. Uh it's close to a buy, to be honest with you, and it's, it's it's Scorsese and 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 you got De Niro and and I think that that alone is makes it makes it rewatchable. Um plus just uh how tense the movie does get at times. So, yeah, I'll say 7 out of 10. I'm going to call it Uh I'm going to I'm going to say uh not nah, the hell with it, it.
0: <laughs> there you go. All right, what do you say, Wolfman?
2: I mean, for me, it's an eight. Um, it's an absolutely solid thriller. Um, if it's a horror movie, it's a bit of a letdown in that in that sense. But for cinephiles, for film lovers, this is an absolute must own. Um, I think not only for the incredible, just beautiful filmmaking by Scorsese but the insane performance by Robert De Niro very solid performances all around and that for me the hitchcock connection with the saul bass titles and the and the uh, and the bernard herman score you just cool. can't beat that that's a completest kind of purchase for me and i own <laughs> i own the dvd and i will be buying the blu-ray next time i see yep. it <laughs> no. and
1: and to throw out there it has a, it has a cameo by the stars of the original both stars of the original uh, Kate Beer yes. Quick cameos in this movie. Absolutely, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Robert Mitchum and Gregory Peck.
0: That's cool. Yeah, good points. All right, thank you. And now at this point, we can move into our feature review of I Know What You Did last summer.
2: So the boy and girl are making out, right? When they hear over the radio that this lunatic killer's escaped from an insane asylum. That's not the way it
0: goes. The boy goes for help, and the girl stays in the car, and she hears this... Like a scratching sound. No, he's been decapitated. No, he was gutted with a hook. Oh my God.
2: I think he's dead.
0: We can't just leave him here.
2: Oh, tell me, little Miss Prelaw, what's the charge for mad slaughter?
4: We make a pact.
5: Right here and now we take the sorry grave.
0: Okay, guys. Now, tell me if this is wrong. This is my impression that I get. And I don't know if this is 100% right, but I get the impression that this movie, I Know What You Did Last Summer, and Scream, for example, those are two of the more, maybe Candyman, right? Uh, Those are three of the more like prominent or um, loved horror movies of the 90s since the 90s was such a sparse and spare time for horror cinema. What do you guys say? Is that accurate or not?
1: I think it's definitely up there. Probably for me,
2: it's a big step down from Scream, though.
1: I right,
0: mean, I agree. With
2: yeah, that. I, I w- and I'll agree with that as well. I would even suggest, and this is rude, even but I would suggest this movie reveals that Kevin Williamson is not as great as we all maybe thought he was with Scream. That, that <laughs> the, almost that Scream you could say is a fluke. <laughs> oh. I would see, su- I, I might be going far with that, but this movie, in my opinion, has more. In, and come with urban legends than it does with uh, Scream, <laughs> and, and and that might be the director. That might be uh, Jim Gillespie rather than you know not having Wes Craven to kind of shepherd the project. Mm-hmm. And, and so you know, I don't want to be too harsh on Williamson, but what a letdown for me when this came out. I mean, I I was Scream was a life changing moment for me. It's what got me back into horror. <laughs> I, I you know the eighties horror movies were you know my favorite thing ever but they had been very lean years um you know maybe my favorite horror you know horror related movie before this from 90 to 97 was uh interview with a vampire i mean it was just not a it was not a great decade for horror in right. my opinion.
5: Mm-hmm. and
2: so to see how scream flipped everything on its head not only Literally flipped everything on its head with this postmodern critique of what horror was all about, but also just up to the game for the genre at that time. Um, I was so excited, and I was so excited about Kevin Williamson as a writer, and and I feel like this is kind of a meager offering. Now, I'll also admit I'm not a fan of Freddie Prince Jr. I'm not a fan of Sarah Michelle Geller. So those are big distractions in a cast this small. Same. Um, I I actually have come to really love Ryan Phillippe, but at this point and in this movie, not a big fan. And Jennifer Love Hewitt, I was a fan of from a male, you know, teenage male testosterone point <laughs> <Right>. of view, <laughs> but really not the best actress. Um, right. And so you know, it's it's got a lot of problems in the cast, and and I think in the writing. Um, and maybe the ex- just the execution of that writing, but um. man,
0: ditto everything, you, uh, Josh. You're singing my song right now. I, I totally agree, and I, I don't know if I people might be mad at us out there, but this movie isn't super great. No, I mean you you said it way more eloquently than I did, but no. but let's let's just be let's just be honest right here. I don't think. I mean, I don't think it is up there with Scream or anything, I, and, and I, I feel like people hold it up there with Scream. Yeah,
5: I don't I
1: know think if that's I,
0: true. I,
1: that. that's I, I think they do. They do. They definitely do put it up there with Scream. It's not at that level.
2: It, it's I would just, say the better Williamson film for me is The Faculty. I feel like that still mm-hmm. not as good as Scream, but it's more of a return to form in I, my
1: opinion.
0: I agree right. with you there
1: too. You know, and it's it. What's now one of the things I thought was interesting about this is you got these kids and. Normally when you have these, these, uh, these sort of teenage characters, the arrogant ones and all that, it's not usually set in a town this sort of dingy, you know, like this this fishing village. Um, it, it seemed like, I don't know, it seemed like an interesting setting to, to, to,
2: to put yeah. these sort of characters in. Yeah. I mean, honestly, that's one of the reasons like this, that's my kind of setting. Like this is right. This should be right up my alley.
0: You're talking about Southport, North Carolina, right?
2: Is that where, is that where
0: it takes place? The coastal town. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Dawson's Creek. Right.
2: (laughs) Okay. Um, You know, yeah, for me, the look and tone of this town is, is right in my wheelhouse of the kind of stuff I just eat up. I mean, I love kind of, Maine, Fishing Towns, um, uh-huh. you know, uh, Stephen King's Storm of the Century and and Murder, She Wrote, all the stuff I grew up with too, you know, but I just love <laughs> Human, humanoids, humanoids from the deep. Exactly. Like this Standard is just like everything that. I want. And, and, and so, and so because it was just like, it should have worked on me in every way. I think that just made that deepened uh, the disappointment. Um, uh-huh. Mm hmm. Yeah. I mean, there were some that's great it. moments. I think Johnny Galecki is really well cast in his little role. I yes. would have loved to see 10 times more of him. Um, yeah, I think and that's, and that's, is super creepy. This is maybe the best movie I've ever seen her in. Mm-hmm. Um, I like Tyrannus. Mm-hmm. I thought she was great. Um, and I like the look of the killer, but it's not used very effectively or enough.
0: You uh, know, right. I, he, I really have a problem with the killer, and it's because. He reminds me. Do you know that um that brand um, Gordon's fish sticks? I mean it just I cannot I cannot escape thinking of Gordon's fish sticks when I see this movie. I
1: guess the only thing missing from from the Gordon's uh, was what is that uh, the Gordon's fisherman? I remember the commercials yeah. is I guess the hook right. on his hands. But still you didn't have that. But you're right with that with that with that outfit. That is sort of the
0: first thing you're gonna <laughs> And you're gonna
2: think. It still could have been cool though.
0: It could I mean, have been, yeah, but it's yeah, not. Yeah. So But and, I
2: think that's because of the execution. I think if it would have been scarier, if the kills would have been scarier, right. the, the look would have worked for me at least. And I it's 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 it's
1: one of those movies too that and and you know what I didn't I didn't I didn't hate it. I mean I did I did like there were things about it that I did enjoy, but one of the things, especially as it got later in the film, they tried the whole um um, you know, misdirection and think, oh, maybe it's one of these characters. <laughs> and immediately I'm like, oh, isn't it interesting? We haven't seen this character for a while. And immediately in my mind, I thought, well, it's not him. Right. You know, that's just sort of a, a, a <laughs> one of the common things they'll put into a movie is like, let's let him disappear for a while mm-hmm. to increase the to increase the doubt. But right away, it's like, no, it's not, it's not going to be him. Now I'm thinking that without knowing for sure, I don't think that was even fresh when this movie came out. No, or even I. I think that was still a common, you know. Yes. Yeah. So it's it's not like time has done anything for you know. No. Where you say, oh, now I've seen a hundred movies since then, and and this is no. This is an instance where <laughs> they, they pulled that. They tried to pull that whole. Oh, let's misdirect the audience over here. And it just it, it it was it was obvious at that point. Agreed. I even realized when 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 and when they went to her house and she's talking about oh yeah her, her his friend showed up and he was yeah. even sweet on me for a while, and everything. I even knew who that
0: was going to be, yep. yeah
1: yeah, it based on based like, on the character's reaction,
0: Yep, the first yeah. time I saw it I, saw it, that whole, um, I knew yeah. that yeah,
2: yeah. so if really there were not the movie. Didn't i mean really but you hold, think i mean it, do you think it's possible though? on the first watch that you think he's reacting that way for a different reason? Mm. Possibly. I mean, it, 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 it's, it's like yeah. why he's hanging around. Mm. Possibly. Possibly but I, I will say, I feel like the twist worked really well um, in terms of who the killer is. I felt like I um, like just story wise. I like the twist on that. Um, I
1: do too. I, I like how they think. It was it was one person, and, and I, you know, or what they think happened is different from what actually happened. I like that part of it as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that was interesting.
0: It's okay. It's a, yeah. I mean, it's okay.
1: I don't know. I, I'm still trying to figure out how, in the middle of the day, in the middle of the road, <laughs> the killer would have gotten a body and a trunk of crabs out of there <laughs> as quickly as he did. <laughs> Without drawing some sort of attention, like
0: I said earlier, crabs. might get us? You just need some good ointment, and it'll take care of crabs. Oh, um. So, <laughs> so honestly, um, here's the thing. I love slashers. I really do, you guys. I like slasher films. And and when this opens with um that crazy grungy cover tune of um Seals and Cross Croft's Summer Breeze, you know mm-hmm. I get excited every time this movie starts. It's like it's exciting.
2: I hated that. Yeah. Cover. But, you know, it really kind of has that. Um, you know what I did like about it is it kind of reminded me of Lost Boys. It's got that clearly mm-hmm. playoff with a shot over the water with this kind of
0: remix song. Yes. Yeah, totally. So, it, I mean, it starts out pretty hip, but I, I also don't, and I realize, again, this is like a scream era and all that stuff, but I mean, it just bugs me when they have those like little puns in there, like Croker and. You know, all, all the little jokes that are, <laughs> that are obviously, yeah. okay, this is a horror movie and people are going to die and let's make fun mm-hmm. of that. Like, I mean, in Scream, it works really well. In this, It movie, works so well in Scream so well. because
2: it's a movie referencing movies. Right. But for right. Williamson to carry that on into other movies doesn't make sense for, for him. So, like, it's okay here. They should all be about urban legends, like, and yes. they they touch on that. But then for them to, like, do, like, a Angela Lansbury reference and stuff like that, it just it totally fails what uh, within its own universe, you know. It's, it's just a really, it feels really lazy to me, right?
1: And the characters themselves are very different, obviously, in the two movies. I mean, you have, um, I think much more obviously well developed characters in, in Scream, much more interesting. You actually, and part like of that's spend- the
2: actors because I feel and like part of it is, yes, like Matt, got Matthew Lillard, Jamie Kennedy, and um. And David Arquette brought so much to those characters that on paper could have just been boring, throwaway characters. But uh-huh. they really brought a ton to those characters and really stand out as my favorite characters in the movie, actually. And yeah. if you imagine a world where Kevin Williamson's characters stay flat, <laughs> you know, and your Sidney Prescott <laughs> character, you know, in, uh, in Jennifer Love Hewitt just kind of is the only thing you have to root for, it suddenly becomes a lot more boring. Yep. Right. And it's these characters, you, you weren't as, you know,
1: obviously in, in slasher movies, especially from the 80s, the, 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 the majority of the characters are, are just sort of, you know, wise ass teens. And that's how they're set up in the movie. <laughs> and that's how they set them up in this movie, too. Scream, it was a little bit different. Yes, you had those characters, but you kind of, like you said, because of the actors, you wanted to spend time with them. You liked hanging around those characters. You so. liked listening to them talk to each other and and so. and interact with each other. In this one, you're back to that sort of, okay, the typical sort of slasher characters. You're right. Johnny Galecki was actually – fairly interesting. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, he started out as this guy who you think he's going to be pushed around and then he got real aggressive.
0: Yeah. You,
1: yeah. you know, so there was, there was something interesting about him and he didn't last. Well, I don't want to go into too many spoilers, but no, I would have liked to have it seen, way more though.
2: Yeah. I would have liked to have seen more. Way and I want more. Bridget Wilson. And again, that might be just my hormone stocking, but I want way more Bridget Wilson in this movie when I watch it. Like, <laughs> she just seems so underused and her character is just, I don't know, flat. Same with Anne Haish. Give me twice as much Anne Haish. Yes. I, I think I just think um your main set of characters like like Doc Sane are so unlikable, pretty boring. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, especially Sarah Michelle Geller. Well, really all all three of them, all three of the supporting leads yeah, mm-hmm. are very bland and just they are you know, the most obvious kind of iconic Type characters. They're
0: at, they're attractive, but not charismatic, and that's right, problematic. Right. It's,
2: yeah, right. You, <laughs> it, you're just not
1: you're just not there with them like you were with with the characters in Scream. That's that's really what you know. That's the difference.
0: Well, the two biggest ways that I know what you did last summer fails to me is number one, and this is how I really know. And I don't want to say it fails miserably because I think it's watchable for sure. But um, to me and Josh and Doc know this about me. One of my favorite premises in the world is you have a dead body. What are you going to do with it? Like, you know, oh, no, we killed this body. You know, oh, that no. is tremendous. Like, how can it's really hard in my book to screw up a movie that has that premise. Yeah. And um, what's funny about that is and and I can't really I can't even say it because of spoilers. It, but um, they totally blew the premise. In and of itself, so so I mean that's that's a bummer to me that they blew that. And all, the other reason I feel like this fails is this movie feels very Scooby Doo ish. I mean, I cannot I cannot well, avoid is
2: that because it's the cast. That's, that's what I was going to say. Is no, it, is it no, Prince Junior
0: and Showgirl. <laughs> <Michelle> Gell- even <laughs> even before that was the case, honestly, because like I I just think you know I think of Gordon's fish sticks and I think of. This is a live-action Scooby-Doo right here. Like, so. And he
1: would have, and he would have got gotten away with it too
2: if it wasn't for those meddling kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. and, and again, I am, I am the audience for a live-action Scooby-Doo, <laughs> but, <laughs> but this is bad. This is even worse than. Or, well, maybe not. This is, But this is on par with the actual live action Scooby-Doo.
0: Right.
1: And I'm, I'm going to take it – I'll even take it a little bit further than that. I didn't fully buy their reasons for not going to the police in the first place.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: I mean, I wasn't completely on board with, with their whole rationale. For why they couldn't go to the authorities
2: well I, I will say like I was you know pretty young when this movie came out and I could at the time I remember really empathizing with that idea of like this could ruin your entire life like you, this could go from you've got a world of possibilities ahead of you to just this is now everything in your life is now going to revolve around this mistake you know mm-hmm. I believe that at the time I don't know if it played as well for me at this time
1: yeah, yeah, just because just because of the reason they're thrown out there. Okay, yeah, there's they spilled booze in the car. They won't believe I wasn't driving. Right. Um, I mean, it was clearly an accident.
0: <laughs> you know, clearly. the right.
1: guy was wandering out in the middle of the road in the dark.
0: Weirdo. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so as Carl would say, our friend Carl on Movie Pie, I Guess Weekly is very uh, paint by numbers and <laughs> very standard, and um. So in terms of ratings for I know what you did last summer. Oh, before we get to that, what about the Fourth of July tie in here on this? I mean, we got some good. Got some fireworks. So yeah. It's pretty good. Yeah, you know. I thought it
2: was a good tie in. The beauty pageant's good. a little bizarre.
0: It it is. Yes. It's a little out there. It's almost <laughs> too personalized to the town. It's almost too hokey. You know, where... And
2: also just like the threat level at the <laughs> at the at, at the <laughs> beauty pageant is just bizarrely executed.
0: Yeah. Yes, agreed. And I'll
2: tell you, I'll tell you something else. One
1: of the scenes that I thought was was working for a while there um, is when one character, you know that you know that the Gordon's fisherman is in there with him and <laughs> and um, is is in a specific area, and the character is going to bed, and you know the char- you know that this this the killer is right there, you know, and mm. and the person goes to bed, and and actually what happens to the character seems fairly <laughs> just sort of tame in a way it, it's it's almost like the it, i thought that was working that scene i thought wow this is this is really this is really kind of interesting Let's see where this goes here and it just sort of like gave her a bad haircut mm. it just seems like, it just seemed like it, it could have it the payoff wasn't anywhere near yeah what it could have been you know it's in, not even in, that bad, that bad a haircut
2: it was no, a salvageable it's not. It was haircut. Exactly, <laughs> it's
1: something that you know uh, that that she definitely could have uh,
2: she just put on got, her Janet and, and, Jackson outfit and she was fine. There you go, the like, Paula Abdul anybody, get up.
0: That's right.
2: Did I? Did I? Do I miss why he went after
1: Johnny Galecki? Pardon me for throwing a spoiler out there. What was um, the rationale behind that one? Maybe just needed the hook. Maybe. <laughs>
0: yeah. And he went
1: to test it to see how see how, see how adorable it was. Well, you he gotta, was
2: there. Maybe because he was right. there.
0: And you got to get maybe. the kills going. And then also, yeah. like, in, in terms of, you know, plot, I mean, that that serves a purpose in the in the it, ticking it, it, and, away and, and of the, the plot. Yes,
1: and it might even serve a purpose in the misdirection you're going to try to throw in there later
0: on. Exactly.
1: Which which the killer would not be part of, let's be honest.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: But Johnny Galecki was there that night. He may have seen him. You know oh possibly yeah that that's that that's true he did pass by in the uh yes. in the truck, you're right, you're right,
0: yeah, so let's rate this baby for me it's a five point five out of ten. it's a low priority rental, but as far as like a modern slasher, I think it's watchable, it's fairly um forgettable though I mean it's kind of like a vanilla horror movie, which means not a lot of pizzazz there, so um you know, I guess check it out if you're bored. What do you say, Josh?
2: I would agree with you. I'd say it's vanilla. Um, it was well put, I guess. Uh I as harsh as I've been on this movie, I don't hate it all that much. I just was very disappointed in it. Um it's funny, I was I was as I mentioned, I was cleaning out my garage as I was watching these movies and I came out, you know, at this box of stuff that my mom had brought over from high school and I pulled out this magazine. Um, and it was like an entertainment weekly or something, and it said like Hollywood's new it couple, and it was Sarah Michelle Geller and Freddie Prince Jr. <laughs> and I couldn't even, I was like, I can't no even boy. remember when that was the thing. Like, was that they were an <laughs> it couple at one point? Like, that's crazy.
1: I, wow. And I, I, I might have been Scooby Doo. I know they were,
2: uh, yeah,
0: I, so 2002. Yeah, <laughs> was yeah,
2: bizarre. Okay. but um, yeah, so you know, pretty disappointing, but I, again, I love the setting. I like the look of the fish stick skiller. I think he's cool. Um, you know, I I I I liked Sir or Jennifer Love Hewitt at the at the time and you know and all those supporting, you know, cast members we talked about. I thought were good. And I you know, I was really rooting for Kevin Williamson's career. I still kind of am to some degree. Um, <laughs> you haven't but, given up hope. Yeah, I'd give it a five though, and I, I oddly I, I I'm giving it a lower score than you, Jason. But I'm going to say it's a high priority rental. I think it's um whoa it's definitely one worth checking out for people who haven't seen it. Um, <laughs> but it's but it's not a great movie.
0: But now people are going to be thinking about fish sticks and Scooby Doo when they watch this. Yeah, yeah. We've That's not well, this should. We have not done this movie a good service, but, um, when you, Josh, when you're telling that story it
2: next fourth of July though, and I would say that of all these movies, you know, good yeah. summertime movies.
0: and listen to this episode on the fourth of July so we can actually feel good about it finally. But
2: you know what? I kind of like the sequel to this movie. It's worse than this, but somehow <laughs> I like it. Jack Black is in it and has a funny little
0: role. I still like, know what you
2: did last One week. of my, again, like favorite settings would be a tropical island and, um. You know, they get that in the second movie. A- and I'm going to go ahead and say it, third movie. I'll always know what you did last summer. <laughs> I-, I had a lot of fr- – they shot that in Utah, and I had a lot of friends who worked on it. At- they shot it um, at a ski resort that I used to work at. So Nice. Does not in any way fit in this, in this series.
0: <laughs> right.
2: <laughs> you know, give it a shot. Kate Mara's in it. She's awesome. So,
0: yeah. Right, right. Um, and
2: Don, Don Shanks, uh, a friend of ours who hopefully will be on um, – our Halloween episode who played Michael Myers in Halloween four um is also in I'll always know you did last summer.
5: Nice.
0: Good reference. Josh, when you said that you found that old box of stuff in your garage, yeah. I thought you were getting ready to say, and you found a hook hand in there, like uh, a hook.
2: Dun, dun, dun. And I'm like, Oh, <laughs> whoa,
0: that would be so intense to find that. Anyways. Okay. Dr. Shock. What do you rate this movie?
2: Um, I'm
1: actually going to give it a, uh, uh, a six, I think as far as slasher fans, I think they'll probably enjoy this quite a bit because let's face it, a lot of these things that we're talking about with the characters and so forth, there's plenty of slasher movies out there that have those same faults but are still a lot of fun. Um, this one, I don't know. I'm not going to say it's a lot of fun. Uh, it does have some. It does have some uh, interesting kill scenes. It is uh, does have some tense moments. It's a little fun. Um, yeah, and <laughs> and I liked a lot of the the shirts that Jennifer Love Hewitt was wearing in this. Was I, thought it, exactly? uh, I thought it um, really <laughs> uh, accent uh, accentuated her figure mm-hmm. uh, yeah. in a very in a very impressive way. That's well, true. that's the um, you have to
2: leave that to the wardrobe person. They did a good job.
1: Yeah, definitely, absolutely. <laughs> and her parents,
2: um, yeah. <laughs> actually, the wardrobe in this movie is pretty atrocious,
1: yeah. right? <laughs> but um, I'll say it's a six, and I think that if if you do, if you're a fan of slash movies, I think you'll you'll uh, you'll have a good time with it. Um, and I'd say it's a it's a rental.
2: So with with all of the problems that we kind of all agree that it has, is it still one of the top five slashes of the nineties?
1: <laughs> Unfortunately. I, I, I think just because of, of of sheer numbers of
2: how many slashers there were in the nineties, possibly. I think I can. I think I can safely say that is one of the top three slashers of the nineties.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: yeah, if, yeah. Right. Exactly. Oof. Yeah.
0: That's, that's pretty. A- <laughs> that's sad. That's telling you yeah. something about the nineties, folks. So. Right. Anyways, alright, well let's move into our uh, final 4th of July review, and that is Uncle Sam.
3: Just when you thought it was safe to stand up and salute the flag, Uncle Sam is back with a vengeance. A Kuwaiti military unit discovered a mass grave in the desert. They positively identified the body.
5: Jody, stay away from the coffin.
3: You never fought for your country. You just killed for the love of killing. Now... Uncle Sam has a contract on America. <gasps> Draft Dodgers, watch out.
0: Someone's
5: been killed.
3: Tax cheaters, beware. Ah! Somebody
5: help!
3: No one will ever burn another flag. Ah! Ah! Nobody will ever desecrate another ah! grave. And no politician will ever tell another lie. And the July 4th weekend will never be the same again. From William Lustig, director of Maniac and the Maniac Cup trilogy comes an all-new terror experience. Uncle Sam. He's a red-blooded all-American nightmare.
0: Uncle Sam wants you Dead. okay guys now i gotta tell you i know what you guys said who was it um which one of you said for a go-to fourth of july movie jaws is the one yeah and, that was me. and, and okay josh sorry and, and in oh, terms man. of like great filmmaking and a, a very good film yes but in terms of if you want a horror film to watch on the fourth of july I think Uncle Sam is the one, guys. Hmm. <laughs> no, I, I haven't seen it, so I can't speak to him. Okay. Uncle Sam, I,
1: I saw this. Um, I, I covered this on the blog a while ago. I did not get a chance to rewatch it. Um, but, yeah, it's – it's. Um, I wouldn't disagree with you. I, I, I don't know. I, I know. I, I still say – I mean, just from the sheer uh, – Everything that's that's going on in Jaws and and how great a movie that is, I would still probably say Jaws. But for <laughs> from a from a July Fourth standpoint, no, I can see where you I can see where you're going with that.
0: Yeah, and and here's the thing about Uncle Sam. I just want people to know, in case you haven't seen it. So I'm, you know, I'm talking to people like Josh out there. Um, you know, and not condescendingly either. I'm just saying. I think people look at the cover and they're like okay there's an uncle sam character that oh. kills people and I think people really dismiss this film and that is a mistake because this it is, is. A, this is actually a pretty solid little horror film and I I I think it's surprisingly well done
1: I I don't disagree with you and I like uh, I like a lot of the um uh the scenes I like the 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 whole story behind this character
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know this this is not a hero <laughs> right this, 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 this no matter what happened to him this is this is not this is not a a, a heroic character this is this is a, a rather despicable human being um which makes it even more intense obviously the, the the horror but yeah but just from you know from the kid's standpoint you know and he's the, the way he's sort of Idolizing his father, and then to find out that, wow, this guy is
0: his uncle. Yeah. yeah, oh, his
1: uncle. I'm sorry, not father. His uncle. Yeah, and and to, to find out what this guy really was. Um, exactly. You know, it was it was not a good character. Um, plus, this movie has a a, a pretty impressive. Uh, It's it's late in the game, but a pretty. I don't know if I, like I said, it's been a while since I've seen it. Mm -hmm. But the um an explosion scene, yeah, that's really well executed.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree with you there. Now, um, for people who aren't familiar with this film, here's the thing: these other three films that we've talked about previously our assumption is that probably every single person listening to this podcast has seen those films and probably seen them multiple times. but
1: we're somewhat familiar with them. Yeah,
0: or somewhat Uncle. familiar. So that's, that's one reason why we didn't take time to do a premise on all those. But, but with Uncle Sam here, I'll just read the premise from um, the Internet Movie Database. It says, a Desert Storm veteran who was killed in combat rises from the grave on July 4th to kill the unpatriotic citizens of his hometown, after some teens burn an American flag over his burial site. Now, as is common with IMDb, that that description's kind of close. It's not hundred percent accurate. Yeah,
1: <laughs> but, the fact that it got kind of close is is <laughs> gives it points as far as IMDb
0: right, yes. uh, synopses go. But but my point is in reading it is I just want people to know that. I like this in that this is a lot like the trick-or-treat movie, you know, from, um, let's see, not not the one that was released in the 80s, of course. I'm talking about the one with Brian Cox and Anna Packman. The recent
1: one, yes. Yeah,
0: the Michael Doherty movie. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a lot like that little character, Sam, who um, goes around executing, quote-unquote, justice on people who do not celebrate the holiday correctly. And and that's something that I like about this Uncle Sam character. It's not that... Um, well, first of all, I want people to know that the guy's name in the movie, his name is Sam. And that's he's this... It. Kid's he's, uncle. Yeah, he's this little boy's <laughs> uncle. So... And, and and so there's this Fourth of July stuff going on, and he, he dresses up. He disguises himself because he is kind of like a corpse. He's very rough looking. And Doc, I'd even say he's actually kind of scary looking, to be honest with you. Sure, um, absolutely. And he disguises himself in an Uncle Sam outfit. So there's like a double Uncle Sam thing going on there where he truly is some kid's Uncle Sam, but he dresses up like the character Uncle Sam And I just, even though that seemed really arduous, what I just described, I wanted to put it out there so people didn't think, oh, there's an evil Uncle Sam, because that's kind of cheesy. But no, he's just dressing up like this Uncle Sam, and he blends in to this event where there's lots of like patriotic and Fourth of July celebrations, right? Right. So, um, I think that's important, but I, I do love, one of my favorite things is how he goes around um, bringing it to people who are disrespectful or unpatriotic. And I think that's great. Now, where I think the movie struggles is, man, there is a lot of story and development and build up. And I'm a story guy, but I'm, what I'm telling you is, is this is like a drama first, horror movie second. <laughs> I mean, th- do you remember that about it, Doc?
1: Yeah, there is a lot of build up to it. You're right.
0: Yeah, so, I Absolutely. mean, in, in terms of patience, I,
1: I don't think it bothered me as much as it does you.
0: Oh, okay. It didn't,
1: it didn't, it, it didn't detract from the movie for me, but I agree. Okay. You know, they're, they're, it's something that some people could lose. I could see some people maybe losing patience with it.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, this isn't a... I mean, for me, this would be a movie that you'd watch. Uh, I mean, uh, Jaws and Uncle Sam would be like a fun double feature to watch every 4th of July if you wanted like two horror movies for the 4th of July. I mean, this one isn't isn't anywhere near the greatness of Jaws in, in terms of like a film, but it has so much of the American, you know, iconography and yes. so forth that that makes it useful. Um, But for this, so, I mean, I think it would be a tolerable film to watch once a year, just like a lot of people watch um, the Christmas when not Christmas evil. Silent Night, Deadly Night? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, just like people watch Silent Night, Deadly Night all the time, you know, like each year at Christmas. I could see this becoming one of those movies. So, oh yeah, absolutely. So Doc, do you want to talk about the director, um, William Lustig? Do you have any comments about him?
1: William Lustig, yes. He's uh, obviously the director of um Maniac.
0: Both maniacs, in fact, yes. Both
1: maniacs, yep. And uh I believe he did uh, Maniac Cop as well, didn't yes,
0: he? Yes, he did, and I and I misspoke there. He directed the first maniac from nineteen eighty. Uh-huh. But he just produced the the new remake with um, Frodo. What's his name?
1: Okay. Yes. Yes. Yes.
0: <laughs> Sorry about um, that.
1: Elijah Wood.
0: Yeah, Elijah Wood. But um, he is the maniac cop guy.
1: Yes. And I'm just from I have a a book about um, sort of uh, what they call the I think it's called the sleaze makers, talking about the different filmmakers. He's mentioned in there as an up and comer. This is, you know, books a bit old at this point, but I think he got his start in the adult film industry, if I'm not mistaken.
0: Mm, okay, and
1: I, I don't know to what degree or in what capacity, but I—I I, see. One of the things I always think of with this is that that great maniac Blu-ray that um, uh, Blue Underground. I think it's Blue, I'm pretty sure it's Blue Underground put out.
0: Mm-hmm, I think so. It wasn't
1: Synapse? Was it? Wasn't, no, I'm pretty sure it's Blue Underground. Has um, William Lustig on this local access cable show. And it's, it's, the, it's being broadcast. You look at it, as black and white. They can't get the phones to work. It's all this sort of crappy little local cable type shows that you got back in the 80s when, when these things were first popping up. But they're talking to him, and he's going into his history talking about Maniac and so forth. But um, – and I'm pretty sure he talks about his history there. Every time I think of William Musk, I just can't help but think of, of that clip – uh, or that special feature on the maniac uh <laughs> blu ray of him on that on that crappy little local access show being interviewed, yeah um, but this is a guy um uh, let me look him up i wanna I, now I'm cause i 'm interested because i I know that the adult film industry comes into play early on for him,
0: yeah, which uh, you know for people in the horror industry, you know that 's not all that uncommon. To be honest, right,
1: right, because let's let's face it, a lot of a lot, of, as far as a lot of um, uh, even mainstream critics are concerned, horror is just a step above porn.
0: Mm-hmm, Yeah,
1: you know, and that's and that's how they that's how a lot of them treat it, unfortunately.
0: Yes, so disrespectful, right? <laughs> but yeah, like <laughs> like Maniac um, from nineteen eighty, man, that's a fine film. I love that. That's still one of my all time favorite slashers, and um. You know, it's interesting because that maniac from 1980, Bill Shetty, um, our friend Bill Shetty, he he doesn't love that film as much as I always thought he would because it, he right. says it's a little bit too psychological. And, you know, right. I you see that again in this Uncle Sam movie, too. I mean, it's there's still some psychological aspects of it, and there's a lot mm-hmm. of story there. Um, so, you know, maybe that's a William Lustig thing. Perhaps. Right. Perhaps so, yeah. And and then Larry. But, but for me,
1: it works. I mean, I thought I love Maniac. Mm-hmm. I love the original Maniac. Me I really too. do.
0: Me too. Totally. You know,
1: because I think there's there's a lot there, and and I mean, I think Maniacs of the Maniac could be of the, all the moves I've seen could be William Lustig's best.
0: I think so. Honestly, you know,
1: in my opinion, anyway, yeah. and it was so uh, okay. Yes, here we go. I'm looking at here. Here he began his career in the late <laughs> In his mid to late teens, working behind the scenes in various minor production capacities on a handful of hardcore X-rated porno pictures, as well as the production assistant on both The 7-Ups and Death Wish. That's interesting. The original Death Wish. Um, he made his debut as a director, producer, and editor with the hardcore porn features Hot Honey and The Violation of Claudia.
0: Mm. You have both of those, don't you? Doug? No, I
1: don't. And he <laughs> he he, deli- he, he, de- he uh, directed both of them under the alias Billy Bag.
0: Mm-hmm. Nice, yeah.
1: And so, oh, how's this? For, how's this for a little bit of
0: trivia? I'm He it. is
1: a nephew. He is a nephew of Jake LaMotta. There you go. Raging Bull himself.
0: Oh uh, yeah, Raging Bull himself. That's funny. Well,
1: bringing in another well, De Niro sort of. Uh, Sort of reference,
0: but there, there's a, a nice, pretty
1: intense character, Jake Lamada.
0: That's the kind of minutiae you get here on horror movie podcast. <laughs> I love it.
1: <laughs> so, and, and he's and he's also the CEO of Blue Underground, which probably explains why Blue Underground's putting out all his movies.
0: Yes, perhaps.
2: <laughs> I love Blue Underground.
0: Oh. Me too. Yeah, Me they're too. awesome.
1: They, but, I mean, even the even those Mondo movies that they put out, you know, um, like Africa, Blood and Guts, and. And, um, uh, Mondo, was it Mondo Kane? And, um, they just got so much, so, so many interesting films that they put out.
0: hmm So one last thing real quick here. I just wanted to say, like the writer of Uncle Sam is Larry Cohen. And, mm. and he's actually got quite a, an illustrious writing career.
2: Director uh, of The
0: Stuff, most importantly. <laughs> there <Yeah>. you go, <laughs> The Stuff. Yeah.
1: Yep. Well. And and uh, it's alive.
2: Yeah. Um, oh, that
0: from from 1974. <laughs> the screenplay he wrote that. He also wrote um "Captivity" from 2007, the one with Elisha uh, uh, Cuthbert. But anyways, um he's written a lot of stuff: a cellular uh, phone booth.
2: Phone except. booth is a great movie.
0: Actually. Yeah, I actually a lot like of
1: horror
2: movies. Oh really, yeah. Really, really movie.
1: I'm
0: with you. I'm with you. And and then. And, a return to Salem's lot you guys he was the um director of that film and a writer of the story at least I guess huh. so anyways, Uncle Sam I just want to tell people out there I think it's fairly well done i wish I kind of wish the kills went a little farther i mean it's it's a slasher type film but uh-huh. but a lot like you know we talked about earlier with um what movie were we saying that we <laughs> I, I what was that man must be getting late, my mind's kind of blanking out, but
1: were you talking the Christmas one again?
0: maybe <laughs> no, not silent night, deadly night, okay, but uh anyway, like the kills, I was really surprised that this movie didn't like kind of come off the hinges and go like pretty extreme in its kills because the the nature of this movie it seems like it's the kind of movie that would go. And the places. character
2: design looks ridiculous. I mean, you would think it would be just like a schlock fest.
0: Well, yeah, and 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 Josh said. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like I think a lot of people are kind of dismissive of it, but the character actually looks kind of creepy when you watch the film. And um so I mean, I'm just encouraging people not to dismiss this and if you haven't seen Uncle Sam, I really think you should. And yeah. if you if you're a child of the 80s like I am, um, this has got a lot of GI Joe toys featured in it too, which really kind of I know that's super nerdy, but I gotta tell you guys, I love those G.I. Joe toys back in the early 80s, and those guys are in this movie. So just one I just want to mention that because I like 80s nostalgia. Um
1: and this also got a fairly interesting cast to it, if you if you think about it. I mean, you know, you've got um, you know, Bo Hopkins uh mm-hmm. is in this Timothy Bottoms. Um, Isaac Hayes, you have PJ Souls in there, Robert Forster.
0: Yeah.
1: It's a very interesting cast and a decent cast put together here.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and much like Jaws, I mean, I like how bad stuff is going down and it's not safe while there are people around celebrating. I mean, I I love I love that in a film. So I think that's pretty awesome. Well, I, I haven't seen Uncle
2: Sam, but based on the character design and stuff I'm looking at and what you guys have said, I'm going to go ahead and recommend as a double feature um, <laughs> mm-hmm. a movie that my friend Kurt wrote that turned out terribly called Osambi um, about <laughs> Osama bin Laden being... Uh, rising from the grave to create an army of zombie <laughs> yeah, I've heard about that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, a good friend of mine wrote it and I feel like the director just totally ruined it. But uh uh-huh. mm. But but the character design actually looks much better than Uncle Sam.
0: <laughs> Josh, I, I honestly, I really think you're being too hard but on it this. It seems
2: like they've got dueling, um, you know, synopses. Like, it seems like they're kind of similar in that one. Mm-hmm. Good double feature,
0: maybe. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I really hope people will um check out Andre- Uncle Sam. My, my biggest complaint about it, honestly, is just that it's a, a little bit too slow. I mean, it takes a while to really get going. But there's some things that are unsettling. It's a little bit creepy. And um, it's a pretty decent slasher if it were just better paced and if they went a little bit farther with the kills. But for me, Uncle Sam is still a 5.5 out of 10. And I say rent it on the Fourth of July for certain. What do you say, Doc?
1: Um. Again, I'm going to come in a little higher than you. I'm going to give it a six point five. Because nice. I did, uh, I did, I was not as bothered by the the um what what you were considering, you know, the slower parts uh, as you were. Uh, I liked um the, the cast that was assembled here. Uh, I liked the fact that this guy, you know, this sort of his mo. What, what set him off mm-hmm. to, to make him kill. And I really like the fact that this guy was not, uh, that th- this guy was just a real scumbag. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, as, to what it, as to what it turns out to be. And and um, Plus, like I said, just a really cool uh, scene with an explosion.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Towards the
1: end, there that, that's really well executed.
0: So that 6.5, is that a rental?
1: Rental. That would be a rental.
0: Yeah. Okay. Very good. So that's our review of Uncle Sam, and I hope Josh will watch it
2: one day. Probably not going to (laughs) happen.
0: Josh, you're not a nice person. Come on.
2: (laughs) It looks terrible.
0: I know. Well, See, I I think you may have had to step away, and you didn't get to hear all my reviews. So, I mean, you know, give give it a listen.
2: Oh, I'll watch it next year.
0: Okay, you promise? There you go. Every, everybody if you heard,
2: watch your zombie, I'll watch Uncle
0: Sam. Everybody heard Josh Promise on this If
2: podcast. you watch a zombie, I'll watch
0: it. Okay, deal. You got it. There you it. go. Deal. <laughs> All right. And at this point in the episode, we got a special little surprise for you. We got the man from Terror Troop. He is the wild man, Willis Wheeler. Welcome, Willis.
4: Hey, peeps. What's going on?
0: <laughs> now, Willis, I understand that you got some kind of exclusive... Early screening to the Purge Anarchy is that right? Yep. You were so big time, Willis. <laughs> I
4: I got lucky. I wasn't didn't even know what was going on. I was going up there for the um seventeen minute preview of Guardians Guardians of the Galaxy, and I was waiting in line, and somebody had some extra tickets, and they gave me a ticket, and that's how I got in.
0: Sweet. Okay. Well, we're gonna be doing um an in depth full review of this on our episode next week. But since you got the scoop on it ahead of time, why don't you give us a little, um, kind of a sneak peek preview of what you thought. And I'd love to hear your rating and everything. So tell us what you thought of this sequel.
4: Well, for everybody that was complaining about being stuck in one area, in this movie, you don't have to worry about that because you see everything going on Oh. and where they're at this time.
0: Okay. So they give you more of um a sense of all the chaos that's going on like throughout the, the city. The city. Yeah. Okay. That's good. Yeah, when I saw the teaser trailer, uh, Willis, I, I really was excited about that because um you see the couple in the car, they're trying to get home, and in the teaser trailer their car breaks down, and I'm like, Oh, that is sweet. So they're stuck on the highway. And, and that seemed like a perfect premise to me. Now, do you, and, and remember not to spoil anything, but do you get to stay with this couple very much, or is it like lots of different groups?
4: Oh, you get to stay with that couple and the, the adventures that they go through with other people that tag along with them along the way.
0: Okay. Awesome. That's so cool. So, um, in what did you think of the original The Purge?
4: I never case. watched it because it looked too much like The Strangers to me, so I didn't bother with it.
0: Really? Also, you never even saw it?
4: No, because it looked like the same thing as The Strangers, but just in a different setting.
0: Yeah, I, I could definitely see where you'd feel that way, but I honestly... I feel like they differentiated it enough. I thought it was different enough from the strangers. Um, I really liked it, and I'm an Ethan Hawke fan. I came in at like a seven on that one, and I was strong rental. So I definitely would recommend that people see the first Purge before seeing the second one. But you're—it sounds like Willis that it wasn't absolutely necessary, right?
4: It's not necessary at all for you to even see the first one to even watch this one.
0: Yeah, because the premise is really simple. All crime, including murder, is legal for 12 hours once a year. And the idea is that you can purge the society of all our darker inner <laughs> um, tendencies to do awful things. And so that's kind of the premise of the movie. But I'm really excited about it. Now, in the first one, they they kind of tried to skate... A little bit with, like, some social commentary and, you know, stuff like that. And and it was, like, I, I don't want to say it was light on horror because it definitely had horror. Would you say this, this sequel is more of a horror movie or were they doing more of the social commentary again?
4: This one, I don't consider this movie a horror movie at all. I consider it a siege narrative thriller more than anything else.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that, that that actually sounds a whole lot like the first one. I mean, I think some people would probably not consider the first movie a horror movie, but it for me it had some enough horrific elements and enough horrific things that happened that it was it was it rang my horror bell a little bit and I I digged it for that. But okay, well what about um now do you happen to know any insider information on this? I know that this was initially gonna be released on June twentieth but they've bumped it back to July 18th. Do you have any idea of what that was about?
4: I haven't been keeping up with the movie, uh, exactly what was going on. I know because they was doing a preview screen and they had people out after the movie and they asking you what you feel about the movie and what they feel like that they needed to add in the movie. I felt like they skimped away from showing a lot of the kills.
0: Okay. Yeah.
4: Is it was in a lot of darkness because they was outside and in the dark most of the movie.
0: Yeah. Now, is it hard to see the action then because it's filmed in the dark?
4: No, because the way they have the action choreographed, you can see what's going on. Okay. But since it's basically more gunplay than anything else, it's you can get away with stuff.
0: I see, okay, yeah, in the first movie, they had some various weapons, which I really appreciated, but you know, um, on this purge premise, I, I love the premise, but it was almost like in the first movie, and from what I'm seeing in the trailers for this sequel, it's a, it's almost like they take it a tiny bit too um I, I don't think satirical was the word, but I think a film like this, for it to be most effective, it needs to be extremely realistic. Because, like, you know, they depict high society people getting all into the murder and stuff. And I I just think that a lot of people that knock other people off, it'd be for things like, yeah, my wife had an affair with that person at one time and I'm going to take him out during the purge. You know, I think it would be more realistic type stuff. But what are your thoughts about that, Willis?
4: Well, since the way they set up this movie with the political aspect. Mm -hmm. With the halves and the half knots. Okay. This one actually goes into it a little bit more than the first one, from what I heard. Okay. So you have a more better sense of why this is really going on.
0: Nice. Well, okay. I'm excited to see it. It comes out um, next Friday, July 18th, and we'll be seeing it and then, you know, doing a quick review and. That that on the 19th, that Saturday, when our episode releases, we'll have a, a full Purge review. But in the meantime, Willis, uh, let the listeners know what your rating is on this baby.
4: I give it a 8.5.
0: Nice. Okay. Now, is that a see it in theater or what?
4: The support... A semi horror movie, yes, because we don't have too much out worth seeing horror wise this year, really. To be honest with you,
0: yeah. (laughs) And and after this is out of theaters, and if people hear this episode, you know, later on, would you tell people to buy this movie or is it a rental?
4: If you enjoyed the first one, I would buy it to have in the collection. And probably most likely when it come out, they probably might. Later down in the road, they have a two-pack with the first one and the second one together.
0: Yeah, totally. Yeah, I could see that being a good double feature, in fact. So, that's awesome. So, Willis of Terror Troop, why don't you tell us what's coming up on Terror Troop so the listeners can go catch you guys over there. What do you guys got going on?
4: Well, we're going to be doing a giant lizard movie soon. (laughs) We're going to be looking at one of them. We got so much stuff going on with the Terror Troop. Sometimes I don't even know what's going
0: on. Nice. You guys are so fun and do a great job over there. So uh, listeners of Horror Movie Podcast, if you're not familiar with Terror Troop, and I'm sure you are, but if you're not, definitely go check those guys out. They're friends of ours. We like them. And, you know, they got nice guys over there and girls. Um, Nice people like Willis here, who graciously offered to come on and give us a little sneak peek on the purge anarchy. And so thanks a lot, Willis, any other plugs for people to check out for you?
4: Okay. You can check out my, um, friend, Gary Hill, cinema beef podcast, which I'm appearing on a couple of episodes. We just did a commentary on 2000 maniacs.
0: Nice, okay. So,
4: uh, the, uh Who's the guy
0: named? Uh, That was Herschel Gordon-Lewis. Yeah. Yeah.
4: And you will hear my views of that supposed to be classic movie, but I'm going (laughs) to leave that alone.
0: Can of worms, Willis.
4: Can of worms.
0: (laughs) That's right. Okay, buddy. Yeah, and we'll have all Willis has got a ton of links, actually, and I'll have them in the show notes for episode 20 here. So make sure you check him out. He is a podcasting superstar, and we're grateful to have you. Thanks for joining us, Willis
4: no problem i'll be on the show soon whenever we do this sequel remake grab again are supposed to be doing brother we
0: are we're gonna do a huge thing about remakes reboots and all that jazz yeah because we we got to get that sorted out so i'm with you and willis will be here for that and i can't wait all right well i think that just about wraps up episode 20 The long-awaited episode 20 of Horror Movie Podcast. We thank you for being patient with us, you guys and gals, and thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this show. And you can join us again next week for our special themed episode, and it is Josh's theme. So, Josh, sell it.
2: Well, we're all fans of The Slasher. We've talked about some tonight, and uh, one of the themes that I brought up uh, on the last episode that we might touch on, one that I'm pretty excited about is the proto slasher so we're going to be looking at some movies um, and talking about even more movies that were uh the the early inspirations for what we now know as the slasher movie um there are a lot to choose from and so it was difficult to narrow down uh just four choices but um i think it looks like we've settled on some should we just save those as a surprise or do we want to announce it now
0: I say tell it because I still don't know what your fourth pick is.
2: (laughs) Okay. Well, we're going to be talking about Peeping Tom, Psycho, the Giallo film Torso. And then, yeah, I was having trouble with my fourth pick. So many to choose from. Homicide, Dementia 13, Alice, Sweet Alice, all these movies that kind of were before the heyday of the slasher that had some major impact on it. But I think... I'm gonna have to go ahead and go with uh, the town that dreaded sundown. Nice. Uh, I was gonna yep. I was gonna stick with Alice, sweet Alice. I know it's a favorite of Jason's, but he did um, cover it pretty in depth on Horror Metropolis with Katie Rotson and Bloody Lizzie, if I'm not mistaken. So
0: good memory. And, um.
2: Aww. So I thought I, I thought we'd cover something that we haven't really covered before on this on this series of shows.
0: That sounds awesome. good to me. Yes, and in order to cover um you know our review of the purge anarchy so that re- that review will, that episode will come out probably on saturday just so people know that's july 19th but yes next week you'll get this episode very cool uh, all right thank you guys and uh, we, we just want everybody to know we love your comments we love the community that is built around horror movie podcast keep them coming you can email us at horrormoviepodcast at horrormoviepodcast@gmail.com or leave a comment in the show notes for this episode
2: and we do get some nice comments from people who aren't on the message boards um i've been getting some emails and some tweets from people who uh who i never see on the right. message board we appreciate all the feedback so
1: absolutely no, no matter where you get in touch with us we we uh we appreciate it mm-hmm. and and you know real quick i just wanted to want to throw something out there i'm coming up on uh a couple of milestones on dvdinfatuation.com nice um if I, I think I, I've mentioned before how uh, there were back in uh, 2011, I was rushed to the hospital. I actually missed 10 days of of posting uh, as a result. Well, that was um, movie number. I think it was 435 is where I picked it back up after taking after being off for 10 days after missing for 10 days, um, you know, because of this health issue. Well, on, January, on July 21st, I'll be posting movie 1435. So I'll finally have reached <laughs> 1,000 days in a row. Um, uh-huh. And then on uh, September, what is it here? I have this whole thing charted out here. September 24th, I'll hit
0: 1,500. Nice. Congrats. Okay. We got a lot of weird... Calendaring going on on this episode. I love it. Yes,
1: we do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's so cool, Doc Shock. So tell people where they can find your website because it is it's, tremendous.
1: Thank you. It's DVDinfatuation.com. Um, you could follow me on Twitter. It's at dvdinfatuation all all one word, uh, no spaces or anything. Um, and uh, obviously, you could send me uh, send me an email. It's linked through the uh, through the blog. Um, and obviously, leave uh, posts on um, on uh, our movie podcast too. Leave uh, leave comments in the in the message board there.
0: That's right. All right, thank you. And what do you got for plugs, Josh?
2: Um, I'm on Twitter at Ickers Arts, which is the name of my production company. Um, I love getting in touch with people there. I, please listen to our themed episodes; those are my personal favorites. I think we should put maybe on the sidebar like links to our, specialty course, kind of specialty episodes potentially that might be that might be cool but um got some good feedback this week thanks to Chantel's geekery on twitter um got some got some good feedback on our shows there chris access our good friend thanks yep for your feedback as usual Mm -hmm. um and everybody who's on the message boards um also this is slightly well it's not at all i guess horror related but um Having watched I Know What You Did Last Summer, I did wonder what Jennifer Love Hewitt was up to. So I, I Googled her, and apparently she was on a show that um, was pretty popular that just, just got canceled um, in its third season. But it's called The Client List, and on further um, inspection, I found that two of my good friends had uh, had been on it, one in a recurring role, but but they were actually in the same episode. So I just wanted to give a shout-out to Bart Johnson and Kirby Haybourne, who were both in – um, the same episode of the client list it was called uh, The Life of Riley and was actually Kirby's performance was pretty hilarious so nice nice yeah okay.
1: uh, and I, I did want to throw out also um, Land of the Creeps uh, my other podcast Land that I do with Greg Amortis and uh, Hanfield Hatchet um, you yeah, know definitely check it out over there as well
2: and is it too uh, late to vote for the uh, Podbody Awards at this point
0: No, I think those are still going. So, um, yeah, please tell them how to do that, Josh.
2: So um, if you're on Twitter, and again, we still haven't really clarified whether uh, there are other ways to vote uh, or whether it's just Twitter, but basically you need to... um, Send a tweet out that says the name of the podcast you're voting for for best podcast. Jason could put maybe a link to um, the nominees, but it probably goes without saying that you should probably vote for a horror movie podcast.
0: Yeah, the nominees <laughs> are horror movie podcast. So. Yeah. right
2: there you go. <laughs> So just send out a tweet that says horror movie podcast and put hashtag pod bodies 2014 best podcast voting.
0: We'll put it in the show notes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. Probably good or you could probably just send a tweet to JAPE man, who is the guy running the pod body awards.
0: Yeah. nice. JAPE man. And we'll have that JAPE man guy. We'll have him in the, in the show notes too. So if you want this to be voted the best podcast, then we would love it. It would mean a lot to us then uh-huh. go ahead and vote for us, please. Okay, so. absolutely. Anyway, and as for my plugs, I just encourage people to check out Josh and I over at Movie Podcast Weekly, where we review um, new stuff that's in theaters. There's very little horror, to be honest, over there, but right. if you're a movie person, you'll have a good time. So check it out.
2: Because Jason makes us save yep. all the horror for this show. Right. That's right. <laughs> I wish there was some more horror over there. I know,
0: but see. and actually,
2: Jason does a Jason does a recommendation segment, that occasionally creeps in crime where Jason will recommend uh, mm-hmm. an occasional creepy movie. That's yep. right.
0: And by the way, you can find all our episodes of Horror Movie Podcast, all 20 episodes, as well as all the episodes from the weekly Horror Movie Podcast and Horror Metropolis. That's like, um what, 36 total extra episodes. You can find all that at our site, horrormoviepodcast.com. You can subscribe free and iTunes, and you can follow us on Twitter at Horror Movie Cast. And I want to take time to thank Frederick Ingram for the use of his music for our theme song. You can find more of Fred's music at frederickingrum.com, and I'll have that linked in the show notes. All right. Well, uh, I think that's it for episode 20. We thank you for listening, and you can join us again next week on Saturday for Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies.